Okay, well, everybody knows what I'm going to say now, so I'll just go ahead and do it, and y'all can do it too, and it goes like this. Turn with me, if you will, to the place where this week's Torah portion begins. As it turns out, this week we have a double portion. Not only that, it is the last of the... Uh, two portions that make up the book of uh, Vayikra, or Leviticus. So this week, we'll finish the book, and um, it's uh, quite a uh, quite a good finish as well. Anyway, the first portion begins, And Yahuwah spoke unto Moshe, Bahar, Sinai. All right, Bahar means in, right? Bahar, oh, Har's mount. So in Mount Sinai. And he said the following words. So here are the words in red that mark the beginning of uh, the Parsha that's called Bahar, after the mount. Speak to the Benai Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath unto Yahuwah. Uh, this is chapter 25, if I didn't say that. I must not have, so thank you for, for straightening me out. Yeah, chapter 25. And uh, then we're going to end up with the uh, the next couple chapters. The, the double portion runs through chapter 27. So apologies there. Speak unto the Benai Israel. And when you come into the land, the land's going to keep a Sabbath. And we're going to see that uh, this is, of course, a, a fairly famous uh, Parsha, because we're also going to hear a word that we've seen elsewhere, uh, and that word is Jubilee, the Sabbath of Sabbaths. And uh, a lot of things are going to going to hinge on these Sabbaths and rest for the land. As a matter of fact, in history, too. Six years you'll plow your field. Six years you shall prune your vineyard, and you'll gather in the produce of it. But in the seventh year is a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. It's a Sabbath unto Yahuwah. You are neither to sow your field nor to prune your vineyard. Now, that which grows of itself of your harvest, you shall not reap. The grapes, the grapes of your undressed vine, you shall not gather. It is a year of solemn rest for the land. And one other thing. I, I'll make this point here. Uh, you'll heard this t- uh, term, the Shemitah year, or the seventh year. That's uh, a root word from those, those names for the numbers that we practice. But uh, there's another element of this that I've always thought was kind of fascinating. It has to do with trust, right? Because you're going to essentially say, um, going to do all this work, going to harvest and plant for six years. Seventh year, not. What are we going to eat in the seventh year? Answer, uh, better have some trust. The Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, for thee, for you and your servant, your maidservant, your manservant, your hired servant, and for the settler by your side that sojourns with you, and for your cattle, for all the beasts that are in your land, and all the increase thereof shall be for food. And you'll number seven Sabbaths of years unto yourself, seven times seven years, and that will be unto you, there will be unto you these days of seven Sabbaths of years, forty-nine years in total. Then you shall make a proclamation with a teruah. There's that word again. We, we do the teruah, the blast of the shofar, the horn, on the tenth day of the seventh month. Tenth day of the seventh month. Oh, yeah, that's the day of atonement. On that day, you shall make a proclamation with the horn throughout all your land. Now, this next verse I hope will sound familiar. Uh, it doesn't to uh, modern-day school kids because they don't know anything about liberty anymore, and it's not one of the things that seems to be taught because the, the intent is to expunge it. But back in Philadelphia, there was this thing called the Liberty Bell. This verse is the verse that was inscribed on the Liberty Bell. You'll recognize it when we get there. You shall hallow the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land. Unto all the inhabitants thereof. There it is. This is the verse that appeared uh, back when we had liberty. Makes sense, doesn't it? Proclaim liberty throughout the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. 
This is a Yovel year. So that's the Hebrew word. Uh, the English turns it into Jubilee. Uh, and of course, uh, out of uh, the word Yovel and Jubilee comes all kinds of things that are established on this idea of Jubilee. And it's a, it's a big deal. Uh, this is a time when every man will return unto his own possession, and you shall return every man unto his family. The Yovel year, the Jubilee, shall that fiftieth year be unto you. You shall not sow, nor reap that which grows of itself in it, nor gather the grapes in off the undressed vines. For it is a Yovel, a Jubilee. It is to be set apart wholly unto you. You shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. In this year of Yovel, Jubilee, you shall return every man unto his possession. And if you sell anything to your neighbor... Now, this is another principle. It's going to be outlined over the next few verses. Uh, in um, in economics nowadays, we call it discounting or essentially a, um, a linear regression. We'll come back to that. But basically, you're going to take what we're going to see is you're going to take a look at how many years remain and essentially divide it up and then um, discount or... Um, or count back the number of years and proportionally adjust all the things that are going to happen as a result of this. So here you go. If you sell anything to your neighbor, or you buy of your neighbor's hand, you are not to wrong one another. According to the number of years after the Yovel shall you buy of your neighbor, and according to the number of years of the crops he shall sell unto you. In other words, depending upon how many years you got uh, from the, the last Yovel or Jubilee till the next one, that's how many years you're basically buying when you transfer a land. Because essentially at the end of this time, remember, it's going to go back where it started from. So it's not in perpetuity. It's going to be for a fixed period of years. And the price is adjusted based on how many years there are to go. According to the multitude of years, you shall increase the price. And according to the fewness of years, you shall diminish the price. So yes, it's uh, the mathematician would say it's a linear um, adjustment. For the number of crops that he sells to you. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your Elohim for Ani Yahuwah Elohechem. Right? I am Yahuwah, your El. Therefore, you shall do my statutes, hukati, and keep my ordinances, mishpati, and do them, and then you shall dwell in the land in safety. And the land shall yield her fruit, and you shall eat until you have enough, and you'll dwell there in safety. And uh, if you end up saying things like the following, well, what are we going to eat in that seventh year? Behold, you may not sow or gather in the increase. Well, then he says, and listen to this. This is the trust thing again. I will command my blessing upon you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth enough produce for the next, not one, not two, three years. And if you think about it, you'll see why that makes sense. You shall sow in the eighth year and eat the produce, the old store, but it's going to take until the ninth year, right? Till the crops grow up, until her produce comes in. So during that time, you eat the old store. So year six, going to be a big deal. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity. This we kind of knew, but now we're going to get a repetition just so it's very clear. Because the land is mine. You are strangers and settlers with me. And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant a redemption for the land. If your brother is waxed poor, he sells some of his stuff. Then his kinsman, the one that's next to him, shall come and shall redeem that which his brother has sold. We're going to see this principle throughout Scripture, of course, famously in the book of Ruth. If a man has no one to redeem it, he's waxing rich, and he has sufficient means to redeem it himself, well, then he can count the number of years of the sale thereof and restore the surplus, the overplus, unto the man to whom he sold it. And then he returns unto his possession. But if he doesn't have sufficient means to get it back for himself, that which he has sold shall remain in the hand of the one that has bought it, 
up until the Yovel year, the year of Jubilee. And in the Jubilee it shall go out, and he shall return unto his possession. So remember, it's not a sale in perpetuity. It's a discounted sale based on a, a linear account of the number of years that remain, each of which will have a crop. Now, if a man sells a dwelling place or a house, in other words, in a walled city, walled cities we're going to see are different than out in the country. In a walled city, he can redeem it within a whole year after it is sold. For a full year, he shall have the right of redemption. So during that first year, he can say, hey, I've changed my mind, I want it back. But if he doesn't redeem it within the space of a full year, the house that is in the walled city shall remain in perpetuity. It will be made sure, in other words, to the fellow that bought it. Throughout his generations, it does not go out in the Jubilee. So uh, land that's out there that's capable of producing crops, it returns in the Yovel year. Not so for houses in walled cities. Now, the houses, though, of the villages, which have no wall round about them, they are reckoned to go with the fields of the country. They may be redeemed. They do go out in the Jubilee. But as for the cities of the Levites, the houses of the cities of their possession, the Levites have a perpetual right of redemption. These are their cities. Now, if a man purchases of the Levites, and the house that was sold in the city of his possession shall go out in the Jubilee, for the houses of the cities of the Levites are their possession among the Benai Israel. Now, if your brother, if he's waxen poor, his means fail with you, then you shall uphold him. As a stranger and a settler, he will live with you. Take no interest of, of him, uh, no increase, uh, but fear your L, that your brother may live with you. Don't charge him interest for uh, the time that he's going to live with you. Uh, you shall not give him your money, uh, your, your silver, literally, upon interest. Remember, money, silver, and the Hebrew are the same word because they are the same. Well, back when we had honest ways and measures, that was clear. Uh, nowadays, you have to explain that to people because they haven't got any idea of what real money is. Most of them have never seen it. You do not lend him your silver upon interest, nor give him your victuals for increase. So you feed him, and um, that's it. Ani Yahuwah your El, who in fact brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan to be your El. Now, if your brother's waxen poor with you, and he sells himself unto you, you shall not make him serve as a bondservant. As a hired servant, as a settler, he shall be with you. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Then he goes out from you, he and his children with him, and he shall return unto his own family, and unto the possession of his fathers he shall return. I notice this is, again, this is not the same as the rules we'll talk about, or we've already talked about them in the case of uh, Exodus chapter 21, for bondservants. Because it says, they are my servants, of whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as bondmen. You shall not rule over him with rigor, but in fact you shall fear Yahuwah your El. Now as for your bondmen and your bondmaids, those whom you may have of the nations that are around about you, of them you shall buy bondmen and bondmaids. So of those other nations, you can actually have bond servants. You're going to treat them well, remember. This is not the same as chattel slavery or even tax slavery like we see in the United States where you can go anywhere in the world, but Big Brother still got a hook in you. Um, moreover, the children of the strangers that sojourn among you, of them you can buy, 
and of their families that are with you, which they begotten in your land, they too uh, might be able to be your possession if they um, you know, sell themselves into bond service. And you may make them an inheritance for your children after you to hold for possession. Of them you may take your bondmen forever. But over your brethren, the Benai Israel, you shall not rule over one another with rigor. So there is a difference here in the understanding between the uh, the brethren and those who are um, bond servants of uh, other nations. Now, if a stranger who is a settler with you, he gets rich, he's waxen rich, and his brother, uh, that's your brother in this case, is waxen poor beside him, and he sells himself unto the stranger who is a settler with you, or the offshoot of a stranger's family, after he is sold, he may be redeemed. So one of his brethren may redeem him. Or, uh, now we're going to see that near kin is going to have some definition here, or his uncle, or his uncle's son may redeem him, or any that are nigh of kin unto him of his family may redeem him. Or if he's waxen rich, well, he can do it himself. And you shall reckon with him that bought him from the year that he sold himself to that fellow unto the year of Jubilee. So the same kind of a thing we're going to see. The price for redemption is going to be based on a discount of the number of years uh, that we have up until the next time when he would be free anyway. According to the time of a hired servant, shall he be with him. If there be a lot of years left, according to them, he shall give back the price of his redemption out of the money that he was bought for. And if there remain just a few years under that year of Jubilee, well, then you reckon with him. According unto his years, he shall give back the price of his redemption. So it's cheaper to redeem somebody a year or two away from the Jubilee than it is when there's a lot more time left. As a hired servant, year by year, he shall be with him. He shall not rule with rigor over him in your sight. Now, this is kind of an interesting one, too. There's a there's a Rashi comment on this that I've always thought was kind of fascinating. Um, he shall not rule with rigor over him in your sight. So, what what, what is what is that saying? Well, if you see it, then what? Well, as Rashi puts it, if you see it, now you have a duty to say something to intervene. He is not to be ruled over with rigor. You see it, you had better, because you've seen it, Understand, there is a uh, there's an action required, and if he's not redeemed by any of these means, then he shall go out in the year of jubilee, he and his children with him. That too, remember, is a difference with the other kinds of bond servitude we see in in Exodus. For unto me the Benai Israel are servants; they are my servants, whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. Ani Yahuwah Elohekem. So this is the difference. He has already redeemed us. And we are his. And that's a uh, that's a big deal. Chapter 26, and we're almost finished with the first of the two here. This is the almost end of Bahar in the mount. It says this, You shall make for yourself no idols, nor shall you rear up a graven image or a pillar, nor shall you place a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for Ani, Yahuwah, Elohekim. And then this is interesting. Final verse in this Parsha says, You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. And uh, that is Mikdash. It's actually Mikdashi, mine. Ani Yahuwah. All right, from there, we will continue to the the final Parsha in the book of um, Vaikra, or Leviticus. And it says this. First word is im. We know that Hebrew word means if. And that's an important word because usually what it means there's a logical conditional going on here. And here we go. If behuchotai, okay, there is in fact the first unique word, um, behuchotai. If you walk in 
who um, in my statutes, hmm, and keep my commandments. If you walk in my statutes, it's actually if in my statutes you walk, um, then and and do them, then. I will give you. Here come a lot of really good things that we're going to see. This is a another set of blessings and cursings. Uh, there's a famous set at the end of Deuteronomy, chapters 28 and 29. But this is essentially the ones that are in Leviticus. And in uh, in some respects, they might even be scarier. They're not as voluminous, but they certainly are worthy of note. Here we go. So here's the good stuff. If you, Beku Chotai, if in my statutes you walk, then will I give you rains in their season, and the land shall yield her produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And your threshing floor, well, it'll reach unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time, and you shall eat bread until you have enough, and dwell in your land safely. So a lot of good stuff. Basically, land's going to bring forth an abundance. You got no sweat. Plenty of plenty of crops and things to make it through the year. It's it's all wonderful. You'll dwell in the land safely. And here we go. And I will give you shalom in the land. And you'll lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I'll cause the evil beast to cease out of the land. Neither shall the sword go through your land. No sword shall go through your land. Now, that's a, a metaphor, right, for uh, for no invading armies and that kind of stuff. But it's kind of interesting because there is a verse that follows that, and this kind of yields a, a Rashi comment I always thought was, um, uh, well, worthy of note at any rate. It says this, And you shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Interesting. Now, let's think about that a second, because he's just finished saying, no evil beast, got no sweat there, you're going to lie down in peace, no one's going to make you afraid, nor will the sword go through your land. So you're going to chase your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword. How does that happen? Well, Rashi has an interesting comment. He says, essentially, we call it friendly fire. They dare to do something like this during this time when you guys were walking in obedience? They're going to kill one another. It'll be friendly fire that takes them out. You don't have to do anything. You'll chase them, and they simply fall before you by the sword. One other note here, as I like to point out, um, there is a um, there are two phrases that are used in the Hebrew, and this kind of gives us a clue too as to how this has happened. Uh, one is lefi cherev, lefi. That's literally uh, the, by the mouth of the sword. The sword has a, a mouth. If you think about it, it devours. But in this case, by the sword is just uh, le. Uh, cherev, le cherev, by the sword, as opposed to uh, by the mouth of the sword. And essentially the way this is explained, this is pretty consistent throughout Scripture, when Israel does something, and it is um, those pagans that are devoured, if you will, by the mouth of the sword, it's by uh, lefi cherev. But in, in the case of where there are pagans involved and whacking one another or something, it is just by the sword, le cherev. Here we go. This uh, is a, a relatively famous summary of how lopsided this thing would be. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you. Again, lay cherev by the sword. I, meanwhile, says Yahuwah, I will have respect unto you, and make you fruitful, and multiply you, and will establish my covenant, Briti, with you. And you shall eat the old store 
long kept. In other words, uh, you'll have plenty of stuff. It'll keep. You won't have any sweat, nothing to worry about. What you've got will last. And you shall bring forth the old from before the new. So you got all this old stuff, you eat that up, then there'll be plenty of new. And I will set my tabernacle, my mikdash, among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and will be your Elohim, and you shall be my people. And Ani Yahuwah Elohekim, he says. We know this. It's the signature line. And uh, this is also something we often see with it. Who brought you forth out of the land of Mitzrayim, that you should not be their bondman. And I have broken the bars of your yoke, and made you go upright. So yeah, uh, essentially declare liberty throughout the land. You are my bondsman, and that's a good thing. You're not bondsman of anybody else. Um, you're not to be the bondsman of uh, the land of Mitzrayim. I have broken the bars of your yoke. Now, the um, the parsha begins with im, if. And then we see this, and it's rendered as but in the English, but it's also kind of like, uh, on the other hand, if, right? Uh, in uh, computer programming, some languages you'll see it written, else if. In other words, on the other hand, but if not, okay? So we got if and not if. But if you will not hearken unto me, lo, hearken, um, and it's lo shema, of course, right? Shema means hear and obey. So if you will lo shema and will not do all of these commandments, note that word there too, lo uh, is not, and all is kol, et kol, ha mitzvot. Et kol. In other words, what are we supposed to do? Et, the pointer, all of the mitzvot, the commandments that I command you. If you reject my statutes, and if your soul abhors my ordinances, and by the way, i got to stop here, because I've had some discussions over the last week with what I would call some prime representatives of the whore church, whore ex-Gianity, that says, oh, under the law. We're not under the law. All that old law stuff was done away with, nailed to the cross by Jesus, by the way, who said he wasn't going to do exactly that. So uh, I think right off the top, if we read the book, we know we're talking about another Jesus whom we have not preached. And what they don't understand is there is a difference between the laws of men and yod heh and his instruction, which he said he wasn't doing away with. What they do is they fail to recognize there's a difference. And here is how he puts it, and I think this is important, um, because this is exactly what we have the whore church doing. Remember, Romans 13 says, when Big Brother jumps, this is, by the way, the government-inspired version. It's not what it actually says, but this is what the whore church will tell you, because who are they serving? It says, uh, when Big Brother says jump, you say, how high? I'm a good little slave of the Almighty. I don't know the difference between his commandments and men's commandments and traditions, or uh, no most of any fake gods. Back to what he says, and read this, and with that on the table, I think this ought to leap off the page at us. But if you shall reject my statutes, the ones that I said would would stand forever throughout your generations and all your running places, not going to change them? Yeah, as long as heaven and earth exist. My statutes, behuchotai, and if your soul abhors um, mishpati, my ordinances, so that you will not do all coal of my commandments, but in fact, and then you break Briti, my covenant, well, here's what I'm going to do to you. And listen to this and ask yourself, does this apply? I will appoint terror over you. Ooh, the Biden fuhrer is going to help with that. 
I will appoint terror over you, even consumption and fever, that will make the eyes fail, the soul languish. You will sow your seed in vain, for your enemies will eat it. Matter of fact, they'll be coming across the border like locusts, eating your crops and driving you out of your homes, taking your Obama and Biden phones, and uh, destroying your sons and daughters' inheritance. Think about it, folks. If As I go through this, ask yourself, what is going on today? And uh, given that the whore church has literally done all of this, they object, they abhor his ordinances, reject his statutes, and tell you you're not even supposed to do it. How dare you say that we are supposed to do coal all the things that he says? Well, we don't have to. It's just if you want to be blessed that you should. I will appoint terror over you, consumption, fever, eyes fail, soul languish. Your soul, you'll sow your seed in vain, and your enemies will eat it. And listen, and I will set my face against you, and you shall be smitten before your enemies. And see if this doesn't just leap off the page. They that hate you shall rule over you. You domestic extremist, uh, transphobe, homophobe, LGBTQophobe, um, white supremacist. You know, you don't even have to be white. But if you know how to do math or like indoor plumbing, you're a white supremacist now. Those that hate you, how do you know they hate you? They want to poison poke you. They want to cut off your kids' genitalia. They want to teach them bad things. They hate your God. They don't want you to have fossil fuels or the ability to travel or to even feed yourself. Those that hate you, it says, shall rule over you. I look at this and I go, QED, done. You shall flee when no one pursues you. But wait, as uh, as they used to say uh, back in the old days when some of us were growing up, Don Pardo, tell them what they've won. Right? Remember the announcer? Uh, if you will not for all of this stuff, if you still won't hearken to me, well, Don Pardo, tell them what they win. I'll chase you seven times more. For your sins, your rebellion, uh, your chatat to him. Okay, in other words, y'all's chatat, your sins, your rebellion to me. This, by the way, is the first of several, matter of fact, four, seven times, seven times, seven times, sevens, that we're going to see in this set of curses. So it starts with what we've already got. Those that hate you shall rule over you. And then see if this doesn't now kind of leap off the page. I will break the pride of your power. Now let's pause there. Break the pride of your power. Okay, so maybe your military won't defend your borders. Maybe they'll go die overseas. Maybe your military will be gutted from within. Your army, your navy, your air force, your pilots, all of those people will be stricken with the Zyklon B injections so that when they need to, uh, they, they can't even arm or pilot the machines and their immune systems are destroyed how about if you become a laughing stock for the world because your currency is fixing to default and they will say oh, oh the full faith and credit of the United States how dare anybody suggest that it's not um, wonderful <laughs> wait a minute you got a senile cretin on the payroll and that was that was out this week too of the communist Chinese you don't think that's an embarrassment a default a, um, a dereliction of duty, literally a shame on the international front. I will break the pride of your power. I'm going to say, well, done. What else is new? And I'll make your heaven as iron and your earth as brass. Now, if you think about that, and, and iron and brass were materials that they knew back then. This was before they understood as much about heavy metals, for example. Uh, we've got um, all kinds of things being sprayed from planes uh, that are essentially heavy metals out of the sky, 
and um, what drought and manipulation of weather and polluting the ground, destroying the ability of it to raise crops. I'll make your heaven as iron, your earth as brass. Your strength will be spent in vain, because your land will not yield her produce, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. And still, it says, if you will walk contrary or hostile to me. Now, this is an interesting word. Uh, this is keri in the Hebrew, keri. And uh, this word, this is the first time this word appears in the entire Bible, in Torah. And um, interestingly, these uses in this set of curses are the only times that it appears. It appears seven times, walk hostile or contrary to me, in this one section. And that's basically it. So if you curry, if you walk contrary to me, and you will not hearken, shamar here, and obey me, well, hey, this is the second of the seven times seven. I'll bring seven times more, again, more plagues upon you, according to what? Your chatat uh, tehem, your uh, y'all's sin. That's the plural form of the uh, sinning in plural, y'all. And I will send the beast of the field among you, which will rob you of your children, and destroy your cattle, and make you few in number, and your ways shall become desolate. Beasts of the field. Huh. It's interesting that term is used. Um, I used the expression about the locusts coming across from the southern border by the tens of thousands, and, and that is accelerating to the point where it might be tens of millions. Your, your ways shall become desolate. But wait. There's more. If in spite of these things you will still not be corrected unto me, but you continue to curry, walk contrary unto me, well, you know what? Then I will curry, I will walk contrary unto you. And I'll smite you, even I, seven times for your sins. Y'all's sins, plural, again. And I will bring a sword, a cherev, upon you that shall execute the vengeance of the covenant and you shall be gathered together within your cities. Well, that's exactly what they want to do. That's exactly what Big Brother got. 15-minute cities going to stack you in there like cordwood, take away your stuff. You won't have any electric cars because you're not going to have electricity. Can you see this? I'll, I'm going to stack you together in those 15-minute cities. I'll send the pestilence among you. Hey, how much easier it is when you're all cramped in there, and they can make sure that you take your Zyklon B, and anything that runs through you, as uh, Patton once famously said, will come through you like crap through a goose. You shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. That's the whole point of the uh, sticking them into the cities like cordwood. When I break your staff of bread, ten women will bake your bread in one oven. And they'll deliver your bread by weight. Now, this is fascinating. They'll deliver your bread by weight. You'll eat, and you'll not be satisfied. I have suggested for several years, we've already seen this starting to happen, but wait, we uh, probably haven't seen anything yet. Uh, what are they doing? Well, they're modifying the food. We've got gliophosphate crap. We've got frankenfoods, corn that isn't corn, wheat that's rapidly becoming not wheat, uh, soybeans and other things that were making little, uh, you know, uh, soy boys before. Now it's a little soy. They don't know what they are. So ultimately what's happened is food value has been destroyed. This is saying there's going to be plenty of uh, weight, but you'll eat and not be satisfied. You won't be nourished. Sounds, again, exactly like what we're already seeing. And for all of this, you knew it was coming, didn't you? If you still will not hearken to me, hear and obey, 
but walk carry, bakery, um, unto me? Well then, I will walk carry unto you. This time it says, in fury. In fury. Bechamat. And I will also chastise you seven times for your sin. Alright? Seven times seven. How, how much worse is it going to get? Listen to this and say, wait a second, we're, we're here too, aren't we? Only I suspect it's going to get seven times worse than it already is. It's just that we've already seen this. You shall eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters. You shall eat. It's not enough Planned Parenthood's harvesting their little baby organs and parts and sending them off to Fauci's labs and to the Communist Chinese to do bioweapons research and all kinds of wonderful things about how to kill people more effectively and so forth and make bioflavonoids and flavor enhancers for your poison drinks and everything else. I will also chastise you seven times. You'll eat the flesh of your sons and your daughters. And I will destroy your high places. Cut down your sun pillars and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of those idols of yours. And my soul shall abhor you. And I'll make those 15-minute cities, I'll make your cities a waste. Wait a minute. <laughs> i got to ask this question. If he made San Francisco, Chicago, Los Angeles, or New York in a waste, would anybody notice? I'll make your cities a waste, and I'll bring your sanctuaries into desolation, and I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors. Uh, wait a second. You can't smell them in San Francisco over the crap that's in the streets, right? If you think about it, folks, I guess what I'm suggesting is seven times seven, there's already a lot of indication that essentially everything he has promised here has already come to pass, and, and guess what? For good reason. The reasons I started off with, because the whole church has already said, we hate his commandments. They're done away with. I'm not under the law. Now, isn't it funny? The people that will tell you, I'm not under the law, are the most damned, and I mean that in the literal sense, slaves under the law of men that you've ever seen. These are people, there's a, there's a line I love um, that says, let those who falsely believe they are free rattle their chains. They're debt slaves. Their kids can be taken from them for a minor transgression. They don't have the right to freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, freedom of worship, free to be free of illegal search and seizure. For crying out loud, they can't keep and bear arms, not in New York, Chicago, San Francisco, or any place where Big Brother says, you slaves, you, you can't have stuff, you can't even eat decent food. And you dare to go out of your homes without your mask, you little slave you, your face diapers? We are, we are seeing a level of tyranny, folks, that literally is unmatched in human history. Unmatched in human history. I don't think the people that, uh, that, that chafed under Roman rule during the time of Yeshua were anywhere close to as enslaved as the average American during the last few years of the COVID lockdowns was and didn't even realize how bad they... Oh, and guess what? It ain't over yet. And if you think it is, just pay attention. I'll make your cities a waste. I won't smell the odor of your sweet savors over the stench. And furthermore, here we go. I will bring the land into desolation. And your enemies that dwell therein shall be astonished at it. They'll be coming over the Rio Grande by the tens of thousands, but eventually they'll be astonished when they find themselves distributed all over the place. And look, look at all the feces, the needles, and even the infrastructure that's been destroyed. I guess the Biden fewer got it done before we even got here. 
What does he say? I will scatter you among the nations, and I'll draw out the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. Now, this is the point where I point out, this is, this is one of those things that I've always thought was kind of fascinating. Uh, there's a line I like to quote in this context from Mark Twain, famously. He said, you know, history doesn't repeat exactly, but it rhymes. Okay, as an engineer, I have noted for years that every solution to all of the equations of, of motion and electricity and orbits of planets and just about everything, including human society, if you look at the math, you'll find that it is uh, what's called underdamped or undamped exponentials, uh, which resolve uh, mathematically into sinusoids. In other words, folks, things oscillate. They move back and forth like a pendulum or like a shock absorber or cycles up and down. We see it in economics everywhere. We literally see that this is the way it's done. Well, history, too, moves in cycles. And guess what? So does prophecy. That which has been done is that which shall be done. And literally, says Solomon, there ain't nothing new under the sun. Here we go. And cycles repeat. And they don't necessarily repeat precisely, but they rhyme. In other words, sometimes you get bigger cycles, cycles of cycles, wheels within wheels. And um, here we are. I will suggest, in other words, that this part has already been fulfilled. We've already seen it. Here we are, still scattered. Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom. The great diaspora, the scattering that was prophesied for rebellion has happened. We're still in exile. And guess what? Do you think just because we're scattered that we can't be kicked out of yet another land uh, like America or like uh, Europe or other places for cause? History repeats, prophecy repeats, the uh, the same causes result in the same remedies, the same curses. I will scatter you among the nations, and I'll draw out the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. Now, here is something that we've seen with respect to the land. The question is, is it done yet? Uh, does it apply? Uh, certainly some of the things, the Sabbath for the land, seems to apply explicitly, specifically in the land. But a lot of the other elements, at least, uh, of the covenant, uh, again, they may not follow exactly, but I, I suggest they rhyme. Then he says the land shall be paid her Sabbath. As long as it lies desolate and you're in your enemy's land, even then shall the land rest and repay her Sabbaths. And law, as long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, even the rest which it didn't have, not in your Sabbaths, when you dwelt upon it. Now, as for them that are left of you, I will send a faintness into their heart, in the lands of their enemies. And at the sound of a driven leaf, that'll chase them, and they'll flee, as one flees from the sword, and they shall fall when no one pursues. Hmm. And they shall stumble one upon another, as it were before the sword when no one pursues, and you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. Doesn't that kind of explain a lot of what you see going on today? People literally cowering before their enemies? I, I marveled at the level of cowardice by elected officials, by so-called law enforcement, and by the peons, the serfs, the dumbed-down idiots who put on their little masks and drove alone in a car or rode a bike along a deserted highway with their stupid face diaper rebreathers on because, what, they had no power to stand before their enemies who treated them like dumbed-down slaves that they were, and they, they didn't even bother to speak up. They couldn't speak through their stupid masks. 
and you shall perish among the nations in the land of your enemies, and it shall eat you up. And they that are left of you shall pine away in their toralessness, in their iniquity, in their enemies' lands, and also in the toralessness, the iniquities of their fathers, shall they pine away with them. Now this, remember, cycles. We get a positive cycle, a negative cycle. Listen to this. And they shall confess their toralessness, their iniquity, and the toralessness or iniquity of their fathers, and in their treachery which they committed against me, and also that they walked, what? Bakery, in contrariness, in hostility unto me. I will also walk bakery unto them, and bring them into the land of their enemies, if then, perchance, their uncircumcised heart is eventually humbled, and they then be paid the punishment of their Torahlessness, then what? Now this is fascinating, and uh, I, uh, as you know, like to uh, to look at uh, things like bookends and open brackets and close brackets. We see references over and over again. I will remember the promises to what? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's something unique about this next verse. Listen carefully. And then he says, well, I remember my covenant, Briti, with Yaakov, and also my covenant with Yitzhak, and also my covenant with Abraham. Will I remember? Zakar, and I will remember the land. Now, okay, that's backwards, right? It's backwards from what we normally hear. Now, um, so the question, and it's been asked over the centuries, why? Why are they backwards? Uh, you will hear the answer from the sages, the the uh, scholars that have looked at this for, for years, and they'll say, oh, this is cumulative merit. Now, I'm not discounting or, or saying I don't think that they, they don't have a point here. I'm going to suggest, though, that at least to me it seems like there could be something else going on. I'll get that in a second. But um, they, look, they will say it's backwards because, you know, it's cumulative merit. Uh, Jacob, and then uh, Isaac, and then Abraham. Abraham is the father of all. So the cumulative merit. Uh, okay, fine. Uh, what else? Why is it interesting? To me, because this looks like a closed set of brackets. We've had the open brackets, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now we're seeing what looks like the reverse. Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. Almost like he's saying, I will remember, I will put a close, a period here at the end of this sentence, a close bracket at the end of this open question of rebellion and punishment for rebellion when the debt is paid. That's what he just finished saying, right? Here we go. For the land shall lie forsaken without them, and shall be paid her Sabbaths, while she lies desolate without them. And they shall be paid the punishment of their Torahlessness, because, even because... Why? They rejected my ordinances, and their soul abhorred Hukati, my statutes. And yet for all of that, when they're in the land of their enemies, listen to this, I still, he says, won't reject them. Neither will I abhor them to destroy them utterly. Now, he's just finished saying, I'm going to walk contrary to you, and he has been. There are references in Scripture that I have pointed out, and so does, uh, uh, well, the Bible makes them real clear. Hide my face from them. A lot of folks would say he's been hiding his face for a long time now. Uh, centuries even. Why, why, why have we not seen the open miracles? Why is there no power in the whore church and so forth? Uh, his face seems to have been hidden. 
And yet for all of that, even when they're in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I abhor them to destroy them utterly, he says, and to break my covenant with them for Ani Yahuwah Elohechem. There's the signature line. Now, what's interesting to me about this is, he says, not to destroy them utterly and to break Briti, my covenant, with them. Now, I hear the whore church, you've probably heard this too, say, oh, that old covenant, done away with. Oh, done away with. I, I will contend that the creator of the universe, uh, we got one thing going for us. His promises, his covenant. We break them, he keeps them. All of them. Period. End of story. If he didn't, uh, well, let's just say uh, hell in the handbasket would look a lot better than the problems we would have if he did not keep his covenants in spite of our Torahlessness, our iniquity. As a matter of fact, for those that argue, uh, oh, it's all done away with, nailed to the cross because Jesus did away with it, well, that's another Jesus who said he wasn't going to change one yoder tittle. What does this say? I'm not about to break my covenant with them because for a knee, Yahuwah Elohim, and for their sakes will I remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought forth out of the land of Mitzrayim in the sight of the nations, that I might be their El, Ani Yahuwah. I might be Elohim to them. He keeps his Praise Yah that he keeps his covenants. For their sakes, I will, Zakar, remember the covenant of their ancestors. All of the covenants. All of the promises. There's an element here, and, and there are a number of pieces coming together. Uh, that's why I like this idea of these reverse brackets. My covenant. I'll remember Zakar, my covenant. Uh, the new covenant? The one, uh, that's not what he's talking about here. He says, my covenant. Remember the one that I made with Jacob, with Isaac, and with Abraham? And there were nested covenants. This is the reverse direction. The first one, the Abrahamic covenant, was the one that is, what? At the end of the set of brackets. That's the covenant we're talking about. By the way, I will suggest that is the one that he says is renewed. Brit Chadashah in Jeremiah 31, 31, and the like. How do we know it's not uh, completely in place yet or completely over? The closed brackets haven't happened because he said it'll no longer be necessary for everyone to teach their neighbor, saying, No, Yahuwah. They don't even know his name, folks. They don't even know his name isn't the Lord. No, Yahuwah, because they'll all know that me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. Has that happened? Come on, you'd have to be a fool to think that that has already happened. The closed brackets haven't been closed yet. It's a covenant he is remembering. For their sakes will I remember Zakar, the covenant of their ancestors, the ones that I brought forth out of the land of Mitzrayim, the side of the nations, that I might be their El. Do you have any doubt about which covenant he's talking about here? Ani Yahuwah. And again, I'll say all of them. But it was, uh, yes, a.k.a. the Sinai covenant. But before that, what's he talking about? Why is it he didn't destroy them and start over with Moshe? Same reason. Because the covenant that I made, starting with Abraham, and with Isaac, and with Yaakov. He's remembering that. He has been keeping faithfully to it, even though we've broken it since, literally, uh, since before any of us were even around. The last chapter, the last verse in chapter 26 says, These are ha hukim the statutes, ve ha mishpatim the ordinances, ve ha um, torot torot oh, 
uh, no, not the laws. That's what uh, the English learning says. Torot, folks, is the instructions, all of them. Remember, Torot, instructions, that's bigger than laws. How do we know? Well, it includes precedents, stories that tell us how the instructions, the statutes, judgments, and commandments are to work. Even things like parables. That's all Torot. These are the statutes and the ordinances and the Torot which he, Yahuwah, made between him and the Benai Yisrael in Har Sinai, Behar Sinai, by the hand of Moshe. That was the end of chapter 26. Uh, these are the statutes and the ordinances and the, uh, the Torot, plural, of uh, instructions, which Yahuwah made between himself and the Benai Israel, Behar Sinai, by the hand of Moshe. And then it says, chapter 27. Now, this is the last chapter in the book of um, Leviticus, or Vayikra, and, and it's kind of interesting, and yet this one is probably one of the more, uh, I guess you'd say, obscure in a lot of respects, and um, one of those things that people tend to kind of scratch their heads about. Yehudah spoke to Moshe, and he said, Speak unto the Benai Israel, say to them, When a man shall clearly utter a vow, and that word is singular there, of persons unto Yehudah, according to your valuation. So the vow here is a uh, uh, nadir, and it is, um, well, it's something that's that's kind of difficult to wrap our heads around. I, I've got a note in my margins on this score. There's going to be evaluation. It is the Cohen that's going to do the valuation. Your valuations shall be according to the following. So we're going to see a list of several things. For a male, ages 20 up to 60, your valuation will be 50 shekels of silver. That's a pretty hefty valuation after the shekel of the sanctuary. Now, if it's female, then the valuation is 30 shekels. Uh, younger ones from 5 years old unto 20 years old, then the valuation for a male, 20 shekels. For a female, 10 shekels. Uh, and without... Um, so he simply says that the valuation is the following. Now, a lot of people can get very upset. Well, why are they different between males and females? Answer, because he's the creator. He writes the rules. But um, one of the explanations possibly is that when you're talking about work, that the uh, the young male has the potential to do uh, uh, more work probably than the young female, although there are certainly other things that would mitigate and, and would argue in another direction. So I don't know, ultimately. But we're going to get a listing. If it's a month old, up to five years old, then the valuation for a male, five shekels. For the female, three shekels. And from 60 years old and up, if it's a male, the valuation is 15 shekels, female, 10 shekels. Now, if he's too poor for your valuation, then he shall be set before the priest, and the Kohen, the priest, shall value him according to the means of him that vowed. Shall the priest value him? So maybe this is part of the reason why Yeshua says, you know, uh, maybe you better just not keep your mouth shut, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't necessarily make these vows. Now, if it's a beast, an animal, whereof men make an offering unto Yahuwah, so if it's uh, something like a goat or a sheep or a, an ox or, or whatever, uh, if it's an offering of the kind that men, uh, a beast of the kind that men make an offering, all that any man gives of such unto Yahuwah shall be set apart, kadosh. He doesn't change it, alter it, a good for a bad or a bad for a good, and if he shall at all try to change it, uh, beast for beast, then both it and that which it is changed shall be set apart. So once this vow is made, it's to be set apart. Now, if they bring an unclean beast, uh, the kind of which they may not bring an offering before Yahuwah, then the beast shall be set before the priest. So, examples, right? Uh, a camel would be one. Uh, how about a dog? 
uh, an offering is not made of dogs, but uh, somebody could uh, could offer an unclean beast. It is to be set before the Kohen. The priest values it, whether it's good or bad. As a priest values it, so shall it be. But if the person would indeed redeem it, then he shall add a fifth part unto the valuation. So the idea here is, uh, this is like what we see for other things, right? Where there is an unintentional uh, taking of something. You add a fifth part to it. And when a man shall sanctify his house to be set apart unto you, then the priest shall value it, whether it's good or bad, and the priest shall value it, and that is what it shall be. That's what stands. And if he that sanctified it would redeem his house, then also to that. He adds a fifth part of the silver of the valuation unto it, and it shall be his. So he can redeem it. He has to not only pay back the valuation of the Kohen, but add a fifth to it. Now, if a man shall sanctify unto you part of his field a field of his possession, then the valuation shall be according to the sowing thereof. Notice how big of a field, what kind of crops can it produce? The sowing of an omer of barley shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. And um, if he sanctifies his field from the year of Jovel, Jubilee, according to your valuation, it will stand. But if he sanctifies his field after the Jubilee, well, then, what are we going to do? Discount it according to the principles we've already seen. The priest shall reckon unto him the kasef, the silver, according to the years that remain under the next year of Jubilee, and an abatement shall be made from the valuation. So, again, we discount it proportionally year by year over that time. Now, if he that sanctified the field would indeed redeem it, then he shall add the fifth part of the silver, of the valuation unto it, and it shall be assured to him. So again, he doesn't just pay it back, he adds a fifth part. If he doesn't redeem the field, or if he sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed anymore. But the field, when it goes out unto the Jubilee, listen to this, shall be set apart wholly unto Yahuwah as a field devoted. This is the first time we see this word used, and it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, this is another one of those words, uh, like kadosh, that is can be something either uh, very good or very evil, um, or it depends on who it's devoted to, right? So this the word here in the Hebrew is ha cherem, ha cherem, and it means devoted. And again, it can be devoted to Yah, or it could be devoted to something pagan. The possession, though, thereafter, is the Cohen's. And if he sanctifies it, sets it apart unto you, a field which he's bought, which is not of the field of his possession, then the priest shall reckon unto him the worth of that valuation, his valuation, under the year of Jubilee. And he gives that valuation in that day as a set-apart thing unto Yahuwah. In the year of Yovel, the field shall return unto him of whom it was bought, even to him to whom possession of the land belongs. So it goes back. And all your valuations, it says here, shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Twenty geras to the shekel. How be it? The firstling among beasts, which is born as a firstling to Yahuwah, no man shall sanctify that. Whether it's ox or sheep, it is Yahuwah's. Now, if it's of an unclean beast, then he shall ransom it according to the valuation and add to it the fifth part, just like we've been seeing. Or if he is not redeemed, then it shall be sold according to that valuation, to your valuation, meaning the Kohens. Notwithstanding, no devoted thing, no thing which is cherem, that a man may devote unto Yahuwah of all that he has, whether it's of man or beast, or of a field of his possession, shall be sold or redeemed. Everything which is devoted is most kadosh unto Yahuwah. 
None devoted, that may be devoted of men, or under the ban, is another way you'll see this rendered in some English renderings, shall be ransomed, he shall surely be put to death. Oh, see, devoted is a serious thing. And all the tithes of the land, whether we're talking about the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is Yahuwah's. It is set apart unto Yahuwah. And if a man would redeem aught, anything of his tithe, he shall add unto it the fifth part. And all of the tithe of the herd, of the flock, whatsoever passes under the rod, a tenth shall be set apart unto Yahuwah. He is not to inquire whether it's good or bad, nor shall he change it. If he changes it all, well then both it and that which it is changed for shall be kadosh. It shall not be redeemed. So lots of interesting stuff essentially about, um, and, and I guess as I'm thinking about this, maybe the closest that people would, would understand, although this is quite a bit of a different thing, but because we don't have too many things that are uh, are similar to this. Certainly we have banks that take possession of people's stuff, but uh, ultimately that's a bit different. Maybe it's a pawn shop where somebody puts something into the possession of a pawn shop and says, I'd like it back, and I'm going to have to redeem it. Okay, So you got to pay back the loan that the pawnbroker gave you and add something to it, add a fifth part to it. Uh, the additional element here is that there are some things, you pawn them and they don't get redeemed. If they're devoted to Yahuwah, they stay devoted to Yahuwah. So, the last verse in the portion, the last verse in the book, as a matter of fact, says this, and um, it's kind of interesting. Let me summarize where we're at up until now. Uh, once something is made kadosh, set apart wholly unto Yahuwah, it, they, we, we stay set apart. And then it says this. These are ha-mitzvot, the commandments, which Yahuwah commanded Moshe for the Benai Israel, Behar Sinai, in Mount Sinai. Do they still apply? Well, I guess the answer is only if you want the blessings as opposed to the cursings. It's like saying, uh, you know, uh, when Yeshua died on the cross, uh, was the law done away with? Did you know? It, here's a, if, if the law had been done away with, folks, everybody would have floated off into space. Have you, have you ever thought about that? Laws done away with, no more law of gravity. Oops, what's keeping us held down here? Answer: uh, He didn't change anything about his real law, the things that he has literally made the universe to be. And, and that's the key. That's, that's an element that seems to have uh, kind of escaped the intention of those who, uh, who would like to say, oh, well, it's all done away with. The only real law that matters, I guess, is Big Brother's law. His law is forever. Right? You, you, you better not break his laws about taxes or uh, gun controls or, uh, uh, you know, devoting your children to uh, something that's uh, anathema to, to him. We end a book that is probably one of the most, um, I guess I'd say it, among the whore church, if you were to ask them, pick a book that you hate the most, I bet most of them would say Vayikra, Leviticus. Uh, that's the most done away with of, of all of them. And uh, certainly there's a lot of stuff in here that we, we look at and we don't quite understand. But interestingly, there is a whole lot of stuff in here too that if we paid more attention to, we might be avoiding some of the curses that we ended up seeing and are now seeing literally from uh, from coast to coast and around the world and again with that the um, the book ends and I'll uh, I'll use the traditional ending because I, I like this word Kazakh right Kazakh means be strong and of good courage and traditionally when the book ends people will say Kazakh Kazakh Venit Kazakh be strong and of good courage 
Well, that's a great way to end. Shabbat Shalom. Good morning. Welcome back. Let's talk about the last Torah portion. Actually, it's a double portion in the uh, book of Leviticus this week, or Vayikra. It is called Behar, and Behar means in the mount. So that's where this begins, in Mount Sinai. The last one is Behuchotai, and um, that basically has to do with um, walking in his statutes, and whether we uh, walk in his statutes and judgments and commandments or not. And uh, that one is interesting for a number of reasons. We're going to talk about several aspects of this. But um, I want to start off uh, a bit differently, and I'm going to go in a slightly different direction than I sometimes do. Uh, it occurred to me that there are some topics that I think are particularly timely. They are related to this week's uh, portion, especially the last part of it. And um, I hope it will put some stuff in perspective. So... Um, let me start this way, by kind of reiterating what I just said. This week's double Parsha marks the end of a book, the book of Leviticus, that um, arguably the so-called New Testament churches. Now, right there, I'll admit, that's one of those terms that uh, didn't used to bug me as much as it does now. Nowadays, I see a New Testament church. Some of you know that I will use a term that is not particularly flattering to describe uh, what happened to um, the northern kingdom, the whoring wives that uh, became the uh, Ten Lost Tribes, and then uh, through the Roman Catholic churches became the New Testament church. What's significant there is that, well, the implication, the, the Old Testament, everything else that's old is done away with. Now, I have no problem with understanding that there are um, writings that uh, predate and postdate Yeshua and, and so forth. But uh, to, to say that he is, uh, well, t- to call him a liar, I'll admit it, that just pisses me off. It ought to aggravate every one of us. Because he said he didn't come to change not one tiny part, not one yoder tittle, as long as heaven and earth still exist. So I start there, and when somebody claims that, oh, the New Testament churches, they're, they're going to talk about all this New Covenant stuff because all that old stuff is done away with, well, then I'll ask this question. What the hell kind of a God that can't be trusted to keep his word, who says he's the same yesterday and today and tomorrow, isn't? Who says he changes not, does. Who then says, trust me. Because I change not, but hey, I, I change whenever I feel like it. Folks, that's called Loki. Those are pagan goddesses, gods, fakes. The one true God of the Bible is distinguished in many ways from the fakes, but one of the really big one is he is a keeper of covenant. Well, which covenant? All of them, every single one, including my covenant, which you broke. And so forth. So I start right there, and I think that's key. It's part of the reason why, again, I'll, I'll reiterate this. Um, this portion, this double portion, marks the end of a book, Vaikra Leviticus, that the so-called New Testament church is just plain hate. Because it's the epitome of old, done-away Testament stuff. The law. And they hate it almost as much as they love to twist that book called Galatians which it turns out is a, is a pretty good book, but it's also, I like to say, the most twisted book in Scripture. And part of the reason is because if people don't know his word, if they don't build upon the rock, upon the foundations, if they build on shifting sands, as we were warned, if they fail then to build line by line, precept by precept, here a little, there a little, they end up not just in the weeds, but on the road to hell. And I will suggest that is precisely what this week's Torah portion is describing. Uh, one of two primary places in Scripture we'll see it. And maybe that's part of the reason why they hate it so much. 
So um, today I'm going to do something that I uh, don't often do, but occasionally, and that is I, I kind of have a title for the presentation this week, the Midrush. I'm going to call this Comparing Curses, or, hey, is it true that Jesus really did do away with the law? And it's interesting if you think about it in terms of the curses, because I will suggest that bears directly on not only what we were warned about, but, yep, what is happening right now. Okay, let's let's start with a quick perusal of the place where I'm talking about. The end of uh, Parsha Behar, the last couple of verses, uh, which turn out to be the beginning of chapter 26 in the English demarcation. Sometimes the chapters don't necessarily line up with the concepts. It says in the first verse there in 26, You shall make for yourself no idols. Uh, what? Not even the kind that we, we worship all over the place today, whether they're AI gods or fakes or... Uh, you know, uh, Paul, who did away with the law. By the way, I don't want to be demeaning Paul. Paul was a consummate Torah scholar. It's just that Paul is twisted, bears no resemblance to the one that wrote so much of the so-called New Testament. And that is a big part of the problem. Uh, as uh, as I sometimes note, too, remember what Lewis Carroll wrote, uh, quoting Humpty Dumpty, uh, words. Words mean exactly what I want them to mean. Nothing more, nothing less, he said. I think there's some tongue-in-cheek here. It's about who is to be master that is all. So when people look at and, and step back and say, oh, you know, what what are we trying to wrap our heads around today? I'm going to suggest we start here. That um, if, in fact, Yeshua is who he says he is and was, and by the way, he changes not, well, then what? Right? He was there from the beginning. The creator of the universe, who is Echad, knew the end from the beginning. He had a plan. Before Genesis 3, even. he ha- and, and it was all consistent he had a plan for redemption. Noah found grace in the eyes of Yahuwah. So we have so many of these New Testament words like grace and saved by faith and not by works, lest any man should boast. And we lose track of the fact that he is consistent. This didn't just start at John 1.1. And if we don't begin, well, where he did, in the beginning with Bereshit and the rock, the rock that was there in the wilderness, the rock from which the living water flowed. If we don't understand all those pieces, guess what? We get lied to and fooled about who uh, the real Mashiach was. Now you'll notice, I don't care for the name Jesus. Why? Well, not because, well, for one, it didn't exist for 16 centuries. So you go back and you say, there's no other name on under heaven and earth by which we may be saved. The name that was given to the real one by the Malak, the angel, the messenger, was uh, Yahushua. Or Yeshua, if you prefer kind of a contraction, a little bit more familiar way to, to, to phrase it. It's easier to say. But it means the salvation of Yah. That was his job description. That's what he came to do. Literally, he was, is, the salvation of Yah. What does Jesus mean? Well, not really much of anything. But what does it mean nowadays? This is really my objection. Because uh, Paul warned us about another Jesus whom we have not preached. Another gospel. I'm afraid, he said, and he was right, that um, you just might get suckered into it. If you don't understand, if you don't build line by line, precept by precept upon the rock, if you don't understand that he's the same yesterday and today and tomorrow, he changes not. If you don't do like the Bereans did and go out and search the scriptures for yourself. Now, he's, talk, he's talking about what? The prophets, the Torah, the writings, Moshe, all of those things that they called the Tanakh. That stands for Torah, Navi'im, and uh, Ketuvim in the Hebrew. Torah writings and prophets. Uh, did they have uh, the letters? No, they didn't even exist. Some of them weren't even written, yet they certainly hadn't been compiled and uh, called scripture. What were the Bereans looking at? The stuff that they had, the stuff that we still have. Scripture. And it was obvious to him 
to them, to everyone, who the Messiah was. And with that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to go for a second. I was going to, going to build up to this, but I think we're already built up to the place where it's important. Um, why is this important? Why do we un- need to understand? Why is it that I suggest that we need to recognize that there's a difference between a Jesus who did away with the law and a Yahushua or a Yeshua who is the Torah made flesh, the son of the living Yah, who didn't change one Yoder tittle, who fulfilled perfectly all those things he was sent here the first time to do. By the way, that doesn't mean everything is fulfilled. If he's coming back, there's more to do, obviously. we still got some fall feasts, for example. So all of those things basically help to draw a distinction. We're supposed to rightly divide the word, to discern, to know who he is. And if we are lied to and we accept the lie that Paul warned us against, that we accept another Jesus who did away with his own law, nailed it to the cross, then what the hell? We've built on a foundation of nothing but sand. And we have accepted a replacement who is, in fact, exactly what Paul warned against, a liar. And the truth is not in him. So again, why is it important? Well, it's important because that's precisely uh, what it is that uh, we are supposed to understand. If uh, Well, you know, there's another reason, I think, why Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We have to know uh, who we serve. So um, where I was headed there when we got so rudely interrupted by Paltok was a story from the time of the resurrection of the Mashiach. And it happens at um, Luke chapter 24. Let's, let's take a quick perusal of that one. And I'll read through this. And I, I think it will at least kick things off with an understanding that I think is fundamental that we, we don't want to forget. Um, how do we know who he is, what he was? Well, the Bereans searched out the scriptures for themselves to see if these things were true. Here is exactly what happens. You've heard the story. This is the road to Emmaus. And it says, Behold, two of his taught ones were traveling that same day to the village called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. They talked about all these things which had happened. So while they're walking along, here comes the Mashiach, the risen Mashiach himself. He drew near and he went with them. But it says, uh, they, uh, just like so many in the whore church today, their eyes were darkened, restrained. They couldn't see him. They didn't recognize him. They had eyes but did not see. And he said to them, Hey, what, what are you talking about here uh, with one another as you walk and you're so sad? Well, the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know, who hadn't heard about what happened in these days? Well, what things, he said. Well, so they told him, Those things concerning Yahushua of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before Elohim and all the people, and how the chief priests, the so-called Kohanim, and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But uh, we were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. In other words, they were looking for a political savior, uh, not much different than what people today expect, uh, you know, somebody coming out of uh, Washington on a white horse, I think. And uh, they were gravely disappointed. Besides all of this, they said today is the third day. That's an interesting coincidence, isn't it? Yeah, sure. Um, the third day since these things happened. Yeah, and there was a certain uh, set of women of our company. They arrived early at the tomb, uh, real early, like probably uh, right at the end of the Sabbath, which would have been at uh, dusk on uh, the end of the Sabbath, Saturday evening, right? Um, there is, in fact, some uh, discussion, dissension on that topic. But one thing's for sure, folks, they weren't there for the Ishtar Sun God Day services. All right, they got there under the tomb, and they astonished it, because they didn't find uh, his body. So they came saying they had seen a vision of Malachim, messengers from El, descending, and that, in fact, he was alive. So a certain of those who were with us went to the tomb, found it just like the woman had said, but they didn't see him. 
Well, then he, and it's capitalized in the modern English translations, he, the, the, the risen one who was walked with him, he said, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Now, let's pause there. Uh, all the prophets. Now, these are all what? Old Testament prophets. These are all things that uh, the uh, New Testament churches would say are done away with. Well, no, 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 let's be right here, Mark. They fulfilled. So once it's fulfilled, they're done away with. All of it? Is he coming back? Is Damascus still a city? Well, not all of it. Well, then remember what he said. Uh, ain't no thing, not one yoder tittle going to pass from the Torah and the prophets so long as heaven and earth still exist. Until all, underline that word because he said it, and it's probably there. I'm gonna, no, I'm not going to be sarcastic, folks. If he said it, it's true. And if he said it, don't be twisting his words and saying, well, he didn't really mean it. Come on. They'll say, Paul didn't really mean it when he said these things. But no, they won't say that. Paul's word is gospel. But when Yeshua has words in red, well, we take those with a great big grain of salt because they might contradict the New Testament churches. Uh, color me a skeptical. I'm reading this story for a point, And let's get to it because he is. Oh, foolish one, slow of heart to believe in all, coal, all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Messiah to have suffered these things in order to enter into his glory? In other words, there's a point to these prophecies. Are you not seeing it yet? Well, wait a minute. Here comes the kicker line in this whole section. And beginning at Moshe, Moshe, that would be uh, uh, the first book of Moshe, Bereshit, in the beginning, all of the books of Moshe, in other words, beginning with what is now called Ha-Torah, the Torah, the five books of Moshe, beginning there, and with all of the prophets, he expounded to him all of the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, he outlined where he was there literally from the beginning, and all the pieces, and I guess you could put it this way, uh, because Isaiah does, he built line by line, precept by precept, upon the rock. He showed them all of these things. And there is the important fact. Because uh, just as Deuteronomy 7 and 12 and, and chapter 13, they all tell us things that mark a false prophet that would have disqualified him if he did any of the things that the so-called New Testament churches, the whore churches, say he did, like doing away with his own word uh, and saying, you know, uh, don't worship that old God. We got a new, there's a new sheriff in town. If, and he never said anything even remotely like that. That's the point. But uh, you, you, And by the way, this is also called the heresy of Marcion and some others. It's not like this doctrine is new. It's been around, folks, for centuries, uh, for the better part of two millennia at this point. But what they are doing, in other words, is preaching another Jesus whom we've not preached. Picking and choosing and saying that there are elements of what he said. You, you just can't trust it when he said uh, he, he uh, isn't going to do it, away with anything. Oh, obviously, he did away with the ceremonial laws. Obviously, he changed sun. Sun God Day is the new Sabbath, uh, right? Right. Obviously, after he's dead, now you can have a pork sandwich because he changed men's bodies and he changed pigs' bodies. We're not the same anymore, right? Uh, in other words, folks, I, it, it bugs me. People say, oh, well, you can't be picking and choosing from the gospel. You have to you have to believe everything. Well, then, why don't you believe exactly what you say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? I think I'm quoting him. And not do the things I say. Over and over again, he makes the point. I'm not changing it. Somebody tells you I changed it, they're a liar, and the truth is not in them. And that, folks, is the essential problem. That is the reason why I'm starting off this way, and I want to talk about comparing curses. 
and it's also why I'm, um, and I may or may not touch on this, we'll see. I'm uh, kind of uh, gonna, gonna let this one flow because uh, there's a little bit of a fire hose here anytime you deal with all of the big lies that surround uh, the biggest lie I will suggest in the last 2,000 years. That the risen Mashiach did away with his own word, that he can't be trusted, that he was sinless while he walked, but then he proceeded to sin up one end and down the other by doing things that, well, his word says you can't do, like adding to and subtracting from. Do not add to or subtract from. It's Deuteronomy 4.2. It's Deuteronomy 12.32. And it's the last commandment in the book at the end of Revelation. If he did those things, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. Ergo, either the translations that claim he did are liars, or they got a false Jesus, another Jesus whom we've not preached, or maybe we better just read what he says and uh, understand it's about who is to be master. That is all. So I'll admit this too. I, I hear it all over and over again. The, the people that, uh, that believe in Pollyanity, and I have Jewish friends that have said for years, you know, I, I had a problem with Christianity because I, I started realizing they worship this guy Paul more than they ever did the so-called Messiah. Because uh, if if what he says is true, then those those things that are those words in red, and at least several people that had read those words in red made this statement to me, well, they're not worshiping him at all. This is Pollyanity. It's a new doctrine that's based on nothing except some letters taken out of context. And you know what? I can't blame them. They make a pretty good point for rejecting exactly what Paul himself, as it turns out, if we read him, warned against. Another Jesus whom we have not preached. All right. So with all of that on the table, and certainly uh, I think most of us understand some of the things uh, that I, I glossed over fairly quickly, like Matthew 5, verses 17 through 19 and so forth. Let's take a look explicitly at the curses themselves that are in this Torah portion. And uh, beginning with where I started, at the end of Behar and the beginning of chapter 26, um, you shall make no idols, nor shall you rear up a graven image or a pillar, nor place a figured stone in your land to bow down to it. How about if we make a whole little shrine full of little saints and little little idols and little, little men, maybe that guy on a stick, and we'll hang that from a, a dashboard in a car, and we'll bow down to those. Well, that's different, isn't it? I, I remembered a discussion that I saw on a, a nominally Christian website, and I use that term a little bit loosely, as you know. Um, lots of people that are on there that keep Sabbath and many that don't, and some that understand, a lot that understand the difference, but um, it's kind of verboten to point out that the um, that commandment about making no graven images. By the way, if you get a Catholic Bible, I got one sitting on the shelf here. You notice that they've changed the wording a little bit. It's not nearly as descriptive when it comes to these idols as um, some of the other renderings into English are. Huh? Kind of interesting, isn't it? Because, after all, then you wouldn't be able to have the shrines and so many other things. Don't make any of these things bow down to it. Then he signs it. I like to point out the signature line here, Ki Ani Yahuwah. And notice, in all the English Bibles, 99% of them anyway, there are some exceptions now, um, they have gotten rid of his very name, Yahuwah. yod Hey vav Hey in the Hebrew, and they replace that with the Lord your God. That's not his name. At best, it's a title. More importantly, it's hiding his real name because he uses it so often to make a point. And if you hide his name and change it, the point is kind of lost. Ani Yahuwah. Then he says this. This too, uh, I think, might be important. You shall keep my Sabbaths. 
My Sabbaths, which, well, you know, the ones that he said to keep forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. The one that the whole church said, no, by virtue of the power of apostolic succession, we have decreed, and by the way, Constantine told us that uh, if we wanted to quit being persecuted, we needed to worship the sun god on his day, so that sounds like a good deal to us. Uh, they have decreed that it's going to be sun god day. Now, we can make up all kinds of reasons why, but the simple truth is, he didn't change it. He said, keep it forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. Now, one of the things you'll hear, and this is correct, and it's part of the reason why the 80-20 rule, mixing a lie with the truth, is such an insidious way to deceive people. Well, you will hear that there are certain commandments that apply only in the land. That's true. You can't very well uh, make your um, bring your offerings to the temple if he, Yodhevave, destroyed it for cause and kicked us out of the land. We're not even there, and the temple's gone besides. Can't do it. Don't argue about whether it's coming back or not until you see it. There may or may not be prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. Funny how they'll pick and choose from that too, isn't it? But the point is, you can't do it. If you can't do it, you might as well not worry about it. If you're a man, you can't do the things for a woman. And uh, if you're not a Kohen, you can't do the things that apply to priests and so forth. But this we can do. You can keep my Sabbath. Now, by the way, that includes his other Moedim, his appointed times. The ones that told us about his first coming, the time of Passover and first fruits, and the one that's coming up, uh, Shavuot, and uh, the time of the fall feasts that pretty well look like, for those that have eyes to see, I will suggest prophetically a picture of his return. Starting with the countdown timer, which begins on that one that no man knows the hour or the day, and then ends with the wedding feast. Huh. All right, again, there are so many things here. You know, regular people that have studied the Torah understand what I'm talking about. Those that may listen to this later might not. Because, in fact, if we have been deceived, if we believe that the law is done away with and we haven't been paying attention to things he said to keep forever, then we don't know. Now, I started to say, uh, and, and there are certain things you can't do when you're not in the land. Well, this one, keep my Sabbaths, look through, do a word search. See how many places in Scripture over and over and over and over again, including in this book, but others too, he says, keep my Sabbaths, all of them. And guess what? He says it over and over again, forever, halam, throughout your generations and in all your dwelling places. If you're in exile, you're not dwelling. No, you have a dwelling place. It's just not in the land. Can we keep his Sabbath? Well, he said, forever, throughout your generations, in all your dwelling places. And I'll say it again. I've been called condescending because people say, well, uh, you, you, this is so obvious. You talk about it like it's obvious. The answer is, it is obvious. If you can't see it, uh, it's not his fault. It's that you've been lied to. You've inherited lies from your fathers. You're not willing to see it. Just like those men on the road to Emmaus. Maybe they didn't get it until he pointed it out to them. Well, that's what people are trying to do. So study. Be like the Bereans. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Try to make sure you're serving the right Mashiach, the one who didn't change, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, did not do away with his own Sabbaths, his instruction, his statutes, judgments, and commandments. This is vitally important stuff, and we're going to see here in just a second. Because after that, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary, Mikdashi, mine, Hmm. And it's funny, too. Uh, well, the New Testament church will say, well, that sanctuary is within me now. Uh, is it right in there with the Torah that's written on your heart? If you don't keep his Sabbaths, if you eat crap that he says isn't food? Uh, oh, no, Mark, you're preaching works-based salvation? No, I'm not. I'm preaching what he says. If you love me, keep my commandments. What is your, uh, as Paul put it, 
What is your reasonable service if you're a bondservant? Answer, obey your master. What can you do? You can't do all of it. If you're a woman, you can't do the part for men and vice versa. But what you can do? Well, that's what you ought to do. If you love me, he said, keep my commandments. This is not hard. As a matter of fact, as you know, Deuteronomy 30 makes that point very clearly. Now, they don't like that either. All right. Parsha Behuchotai. Im if, Behuchotai, if walk you in my statutes and, and, and uh, hukati, and um, if you keep my commandments, uh, mitzvoti, if you do those things, then lots of good stuff. Here comes uh, one of two sets, and we're going to talk about both of them. A little, little compare and contrast. They're, they're actually focused slightly differently, and uh, to that extent, they, they kind of buttress one another up. But he says, I'll give you rain in their seasons. The land will yield her produce. Trees of the field will yield their fruit. All kinds of good stuff. You'll have threshing floors that overflow. You'll sow your bread. You'll eat. You'll have enough. You will dwell in your land safely. There will be shalom, peace in your land. That is a great blessing, folks. Some some sages will say that's the greatest of blessings, to be able to sleep and rest and love and uh, walk and enjoy life without having to worry about somebody coming up behind you and slitting your throat or stealing your children and raping them and killing them or taking them off to San Francisco and making them dwell in the feces and the needles uh, or, or maybe cutting off their genitalia by shipping them to California. No, folks, shalom is a great blessing and it's one of the things that is consistent in all of these blessings. You'll chase your enemy. There won't be a sword fall through your land. Uh, I, I mentioned some of that last night. Um, but I want to I mention this part. I will walk among you and be your Elohim, and you shall be my people. I am Ani Yahuwah Elohechem, who brought you forth out of the land of Yitzrayim, Egypt, so that you shouldn't be their bondmen. You won't be their slaves, the fake gods' slaves, the slaves of the IRS and the uh, Gestapo and FBI and all the uh, those that are in Washington that believe that you're their chattel property. And by the way, if you don't think that's true... Ask, uh, ask if there's any part of the Bill of Rights that still applies. Um, but, he says, here comes, right? Uh, and actually it's and if. So it's the else clause. If you will not hearken unto me, Shamar, hear and obey, and not do, oops, all, all, it says all there. That's not a word I put in there. He put it in there. All of his commandments, and that would be his mitzvot, if you reject my statutes, now listen to this and ask yourself, those that say that the law is done away with, I've, I've debated them, I've talked to a lot of them, uh, I think it's true. They hate some of these statutes. Anybody ever heard this one? Why, do you stone your children? you got a rebellious son, you can take him out and stone him? Oh, you can hear the atheists just hate it. They just hate that. And that follows several other things. I've, I've talked about this in the past, and we'll get around to it here this year again eventually. But it's funny how there are so many politically incorrect things, and they will just pick on those and pick on those, and they don't even recognize that this idea about uh, taking the rebellious son out and stoning him is a threat. It's a warning to the son who is going to get told by his parents, hey, this is what happens to rebellious sons. Guess what? When you don't have that warning... Look and see what happens to uh, rebellious daughters that take hormone injections, claim their boys, then go in and uh, shoot up a gun-free killing zone full of little Christian nine-year-olds. This, folks, is the alternative of lawlessness that abounds. It ought to, uh, at least you'd think, send a message. 
Isn't it funny, in other words, how the very people who rail against his instruction and say, how dare that God of the Bible even suggest that there might be a time to, to take care of a rebellious son before he goes up and shoots up a church, have ended up bringing about exactly the kind of curses that are being warned about right here. And that is the point of the compare and contrast, comparing curses today. Here we go. So it says, if you won't hearken, if your soul shall reject my statutes, if your soul abhors my ordinances, doesn't that describe much of the whore church? We hate it. We hate all these things he wrote about marriage. We hate the things that he wrote about what's food and what's not food. We hate all of this law. Oh, it's bondage, it's bondage, it's bondage, I tell you. So I would rather be a Romans 13 good Christian. I'd rather go to the gulags. I'd rather take the mark of the beast. I'd rather have my dishonest ways and measures and my Obama phone. Come on. It, it bugs me, and I'll, I'll admit, yeah, uh, Mark sometimes gets sarcastic. You bet your, I, you bet your sweet you know what I do. When I hear all this crap about people saying, I'm not under bondage, but i got to fill out my forms. i got to get my permission slips. i got to have permission to speak freely. Oh, I don't want to be out of line if they ban me from Two-Face Book, and then they'll take my children away because I'm not a good little slave. They call me a, oh, a homophobe and a transphobe. Come on. You talk about people under bondage? This is about the worst kind of bondage you can get. What does Yeshua say? Those whom he has made free are free indeed. Uh, what does Paul call himself? A bond servant, a slave. Well, but there's a difference, right? A bond servant of the Most High, a bond servant of the fellow he called Lord and Master. The one who wrote those words in red and said he wouldn't change in a single word of the Torah that Paul knew by heart, every single word of it. He also knew that there was crap, the... Uh, Law, so-called, the nomos of the Pharisees, that was not part of the Torah because they were additions to, primarily. And with the whore church, you get some subtractions from. We'll subtract out things he says uh, we don't like, like, uh, you know, pork. But we'll add fish on Fridays, maybe, for a while. Instead, there is so much crap, in other words, that what's happened over the centuries is people don't recognize what's true, what's law, and what's not. They have failed to discern the difference. If your soul abhors my ordinances, you've been fed so much crap from the whore church, you can't tell the difference between what's real and what's fish on Friday. You can't tell what's real, you know, I've got the little idol hanging from your, your mirror in your car. So that you will not do, he says, all of my commandments, but in fact, break, briti, my covenant. Well, here's what I'm going to do to you. Now listen to this. I asked the question, I'm going to expound a bit today, and we're going to go to Deuteronomy as well. Here's what I'll do to you, he says. I'll appoint terror over you. Well, hell, you got a rigged election. you got uh, 10,000 plus invaders per day and growing coming across the open southern border. How many of those are actual terrorists? What is it, one in a hundred? If it's one in a hundred, folks, let's see, that would be a hundred a day terrorists. If an average terror cell is three to six terrorists, do the math, right? That's a dozen or more terror cells per day. And they're getting free bus tickets and plane passes, and they're going all over the United States. How many does it take to blow up a train station, a uh, power plant, or a uh, transmission line transformer substation? Yeah, three or six, they'll, they'll do it handily. I will appoint terror over you. Folks, we've already seen it, but you ain't seen nothing yet compared to what he promises. Because what he's fixing to say here is going to get seven times worse. Listen to this, and then I'll go to uh, the contrast part. Terror over you. Consumption and fever. Maybe even bioweapons, right? The Fauci flu and injections, whether you like it or not. Well, inject your little kitties, too. 
Your eyes will fail. Your soul will languish. You'll sow your seed in vain, but your enemies will eat it. I'll set my face against you. Those that hate you shall rule over you. I got this one in underlined. and, and Oh, those that hate you. Well, see, you don't even have to be white anymore to be called a white supremacist. And this phobe, that phobe, tranny phobe, uh, homophobe, you name it. If you're a phobe, they hate you. And guess what? They rule over you. They'll ban you from Two-Facebook. They got a WEF woman in there now that the great savior Elon Musk has put back in at Twitter. That didn't last long, did it? Uh, so much, in other words, of those that hate you will rule over you. And I could go and spend an hour just going through places in Scripture. Women and children will rule over them, Isaiah, all kinds of places. But let's just put it this way. If you haven't figured out that that has already happened, you're probably listening to the wrong... <laughs> you're probably listening to the wrong kind of a podcast. Uh, and you'll flee when none pursues you. And for all of this, he says, if you still won't hearken, shamar, hear and obey unto me, well, I will chastise you even seven times more for your rebellion, your sins, your disobedience. Okay, and we'll come back to some of this, but I want to, at this point, let's let's take a shift and go look at the other place, the, the probably most famous place in Scripture when it comes to curses. And this is Deuteronomy chapter 28, primarily. And it starts with some blessings. And it says, Blessed you'll be in the city, blessed you'll be in the country, in the field. Blessed will be the fruit of your body, of your land, your cattle, and so forth. Uh, blessed you'll be when you come in, blessed you'll be when you go out, and, and so forth. The enemy might rise up against you, but he'll be smitten before you. Come in one way, flee before you seven ways. Your barn will overflow. All kinds of good stuff. And then what we get is, but on the other hand... If you believe that crap from the New Testament churches that all these commandments are done away with and you don't have to obey anymore, just say the get out of hell free uh, prayer card, get your card, hold that up, and you don't have to worry about anything, uh, then I got a problem. Okay? I, uh, I will mention this one. We'll come back to this. Yahuwah, it says, no, not the Lord. Yahuwah will make you the head and not the tail. That's the blessing. Later he's going to say, and on the other hand, if you don't do it, you'll be the tail and not the head. And by the way, when you're overrun with 600 plus million invaders, guess who gets to be the tail? Um, you'll be um, above and not beneath. But the converse and what we're seeing, you'll be beneath and certainly not above. The commandment, if you hearken to the commandments of Yahuwah Yorel, which I command you this day to observe to do them, and you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you to this day, not to the right hand nor to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. What does the whore church say? Well, we got our clergy response team member. Uh, Big Brother is your real boss, right? When he says jump, you say, how high? Good little Christian knows who the real master is. We don't really pay attention to Jesus, even though we claim him as Lord and Savior. It's really Paul that tells us that uh, we are not under the law anymore, at least not under the law of God, but under the law of man. Oh, yeah, when he says jump, you say how high. You can cite all these places in Scripture, folks, where they will they will swear that if, if the man, if the master, if the real God, the one of this world, if that prince comes before you and says, do something, you better do it, because you're not a good Christian otherwise. But... If the God of the Bible dares to say something like, uh, walk in obedience to me, oh, then you're under bondage! Come on! i, I got to admit, the, the more I think about this, the more I see how satanically evil this has become, the more I, I realize, you know what? Read this. We're getting exactly what those people have been jonesing for, what they have asked for, and now they've gotten it. Curses. Back to Deuteronomy. It'll come to pass, if you shall not hearken, 
That word shamar, hear and obey, hearken, it's the same word as Shema Israel, the most important commandment in Scripture, says Yahushua. If you will not Shema Israel under the voice of Yahuwah to observe to do uh, some of them, the ones that don't have to do with Sun God Day, uh, no, all of his commandments and his statutes, which I command you this day, well, here's what's going to happen. All these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And everything that we just heard in Deuteronomy 27, and now we get the negation. Cursed you'll be in the city. Cursed you'll be in the field, in the country. Cursed will be your basket and your kneading trough. Cursed the fruit of your body, the fruit of your land, your cattle. Cursed you'll be when you come in, and cursed you'll be when you go out. He'll send all kinds of stuff until you, everything you put your hand to, until you are quickly destroyed and perish quickly because of the evil of your doings, whereby you have forsaken me. Pestilence will cleave to you. And, and if you take the Fauci injections and the boosters, the pestilence will not only cleave to you, you'll manufacture little spike proteins, and it'll cleave everybody else around you too, and your immune system will be, be destroyed, and then, you think you've got problems? Just wait till the God-given immune system is destroyed, and everything and, and its dog brother will cleave to you. And, oh, here's one that's already happened, and this is interesting, till he's consumed you from off the land. That once upon a time you went in to possess. He'll smite you with consumption, with fever, inflammation, uh, and so forth. Um, all right, let's um, let's go and <laughs> let's go and ask ourselves this question. That's what we've already seen. Is there anything that kind of is happening today that might give us a clue as to where we are on this set of curses? Right? I've mentioned the seven times seven and uh, and so forth. Well, here's Deuteronomy. Now, this is the place where I actually thought about starting off with because this is the place where if you pick up a newspaper, you'll read these curses right there on page one. Well, unless you go to the New York Times, then it's a slightly different story. I'll come back to that. Um, Bad things will happen. He'll cause you to be smitten before your enemies. Whereas before they flee seven ways from before you, now it's you fleeing seven ways, seven ways before them. You'll be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. What does the Biden viewer say? Oh, oh, the full faith and credit of the United States will be, uh, yeah, that's what he promised, and he's making sure to deliver on it. We're a horror. All the rest of the countries look and say, wow, what happened to this once um, upstanding country? They're the rainbow capital of the world. They export, what, nothing except Hollywood crap and transgender drugs and uh, poisons. Oh, yeah, and funny money, too. Your carcasses will be food for the fowls of the air, the beasts of the earth. No one will be able to frighten them away. And all of the boils of Egypt, uh, that uh, things from which you cannot be healed. Yep, uh, and uh, your poison poke ain't helping. Yeah, and here's the one that here's the one that I was inclined to start with, but we got to work up to it now, don't we? It says Yahuwah, the Lord. No, Yahuwah will smite you with madness and with blindness and with astonishment of heart. Now, honestly, folks, I look at the things that are you know kind of on the hit parade today. What do we got? We got an invasion from without. We've got people jonesing for World War III, poking the bear. They're going to get it eventually. They're sending nuclear-depleted uranium weapons over into the battlefield. They're at the uh, uh, the, the Western Front of uh, World War III. And it, it'll happen. And it, it'll happen whether they have to make it up or not that we'll get World War III. They're working hard on a civil war. They're working hard to divide brother from brother. We have the biggest economic collapse, the biggest debt bubble the biggest currency collapse, literally, set to go in all of human history. There has never been a debt bubble like the United States. Never been a fiat currency that has gone this far over the top. 
And one of the things that historians will point out is you can chart economic cycles, political cycles, war cycles, and they all tend to have what they call grand supercycle climaxes, like we're approaching right now. Seven times seven times seven. Is that what that looks like? Let me go back to the other thing that I think is just kind of amazing. In all that litany of stuff, um, the one that people are focused on, and, and rightfully so because it does affect the children, is uh, let's turn everything that the creator of the universe, this is another part of his word, right? All of the things that he calls sexual abominations, incest, bestiality, uh, perversions like a man lying with a man as with a woman, all of the things, in other words, that um, he says don't do, and in many cases, if you read the Torah, it'll, it'll specify a death penalty. And what are they doing? Well, they're subsidizing them. They're mandating them. And yes, they're teaching them to the, to the kiddies in, in first grade in some cases. Want to know about fisting? Uh, I'm not even going to talk about some of this crap, but you can go to an elementary school and find stuff that would have been called porno and perversion by those that thought Playboy, you know, and, and looking at women's breasts was bad uh, 40 years ago. And here we are today, teaching children things that literally the creator of the universe says are not only wrong and abomination, but carry a literal death penalty. And if you don't do that, if you don't want your children being turned into little abominations from the pit of hell, you're, you're phobic, you're transphobic, and you're probably a bad parent. And guess what? We're going to take your kids away from you. I look at this and I say, this is insane. Remember uh, Albert Einstein's famous definition, what's insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. You teach kids to be perverts. You teach kids that lawlessness abounds, that the law is done away with. Jesus wants you to be free from any kind of bondage. Uh, just do If it feels good, do it. And then they wonder. And you look at the world and you say, isn't this just basically blankety-blanking insane? Well, you know what? It's precisely exactly, explicitly what he promised. Yahuwah will smite you with madness and with blindness. You know, in other words, you can't see the truth when it's staring you right in the face and with astonishment at heart. That is about as blunt of a description of America May the 13th, 2023, as I think you'll find. But he's not done. He says, you'll grope at noonday as the blind man gropes in the darkness. You will not be able to make your way prosperous. Well, no, they'll stop you. They'll come and they'll take your stuff. They'll shut down your business. They'll declare you to be not essential. They'll mask your employees and then they'll give them bennies and free phones and, and aid to families with dependent children and all kinds of wonderful socialist uh, UBI so that they don't have to work anymore. They can just sit at home and eat bonbons. And your way will not be prosperous. Matter of fact, you won't have any products. You won't have any food because they're burning up the plants that make it. And they're bringing in people to destroy it. And make sure that all those farmers around the border don't have any animals and can't live anyway. And they're killing them. You shall only be oppressed and robbed always. Oh, and get this. And there will be no one to save you. Why? Because they're all on the take for communist China. And they've already sold out. And they're letting you basically go to the dogs. 
All right, it goes on, and I'm going to skip over some of this. You'll build a house, you'll betroth the wife, you won't be able to uh, sleep with her, enjoy the house that you built or the vineyard that you planted. Your ox will be slain before your eyes. Yeah, the illegal invaders come in and take it. You won't eat anything uh, of it. Your ass will be violently taken away from before your face. And you can read that any way you want, folks. It's true in every language. Uh, your sheep will be given to your enemies, and no one will be there to save you. Your sons and your daughters, given to another people. Hell, they may just take them off and, and send them to California, where Gavin Gruesome Newsom will cut off their breasts and their genitalia. You'll, uh, you'll look, and you'll, your eyes will fail with longing for them. But there'll be nothing in the power of your hand. By the way, they'll have taken away your firearms. You can't even protect your, fa- your ham- family anymore. The fruit of your land, your, la- your neighbors, uh, shall a nation which you know not eat up. Now, that has always interested me. A nation which you know not will eat them up. I have, how many times have anybody that's listening heard this? Uh, I grew up in this nation, America. I don't know it anymore. This isn't the nation I grew up in. This isn't the land of the free, the home of the brave. This isn't the place where you can uh, aspire to be something uh, more than, than before. A nation which you know not will eat all of these things up. I guess I gotta say, yep, done. You'll only be oppressed and crushed always. And you will be mad, mad, for the sight of your eyes, the things that you will see. And um, he keeps on going. um, The stranger that's in the midst of you will mount up above you, higher and higher. You will go down lower and lower. And there'll be more and more of him, kind of like locusts coming in. They'll get free bus tickets, free phones, debit cards, and they will be shipped all over the country. And they'll be acts of terror. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to come and they're going to say to you, we need E-Verify. Yeah, these strangers are coming in. That's why you have to take the mark of the beast. Because otherwise, we'll just bring more. Can you see the pattern here? Oh, no, that's part of the curse, right? Blindness. Astonishment of heart. People will say it's not lawlessness that's abounding here. This has nothing to do with the fact that we claim the law was done away with, and that the one true God of the Bible can't even keep his word. Why the hell do we expect a Biden Fuhrer or any politico who puts their hand on a Bible that they know doesn't make a damn bit of difference anyway, not to lie? You can't trust anybody. What is it that, that he just finished saying? There'll be no one to save you. If the God of the Bible, if he can't keep his word to you, if he can't say, it's the same, I'm the same, my word changes not, as long as heaven and earth still exist, you can trust one thing, my covenant, my word. If you can't trust that, folks, you got nothing. You literally have nothing. Another Jesus whom we've not preached. A fake. All these curses, he says, shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you. And you'll be destroyed. Why? Because, as Yeshua said, the most important commandment in all of Scripture, Shema Israel, Yahuwah Eloheinu, Yahuwah Echad. In other words, hear, hear and obey, O Israel, Yahuwah, yod heh vav the one true God, He is Echad, He is one. He is a unity. And you shall love Him with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. You didn't hearken to His voice. You didn't Shema to keep his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded you. Oh yeah, Matthew 24. And because you didn't, and because lawlessness, toralessness, iniquity abounds, the love of many will grow cold. Can you see it? Are we there yet? And all of this shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder, and upon your seed forever. Because you did not serve Yahuwah Yerel with joyfulness, and with gladness of heart, by reasons 
of literally um, Rav Kol in all things. So you'll serve your enemy instead. The one that Yahuwah will send against you in hunger, thirst, and in nakedness. In want of all things. And you think you're uh, under bondage of the Torah? <laughs> you ain't seen bondage, dude. He will put a yoke of iron upon your neck until he has destroyed you. And he'll bring a nation from afar against you, from the ends of the earth, like a vulture, maybe an eagle, swoops down. A nation whose tongue you shall not understand. Uh, will it be Russian? Will it be Iranian? Or will it be... Uh, maybe my guess, Mandarin. But I guess we'll see now, won't we? A nation of fierce countenance that shall not regard the person of the old nor show favor to the young. And he, these invaders, the ones that you're welcoming by the hundreds of millions across your southern border and indeed all over the world that are lawless and abound, they will eat the fruit of your cattle, the fruit of your ground, until you're destroyed. They won't leave you any corn or wine or oil, the increase of anything, till he's caused you to perish. Besiege you in all your gates, till your high and fortified walls come down. That military that you trusted in, that took the poison poke, that military that basically thought that learning about transgenderism and chest feeding was more important than how to operate a, um, a deck gun or an M15 or an M... You pick, pick a weapon, folks. They ain't got them anymore. They've all been shipped over to Ukraine and destroyed. So that, in fact, this can come true. Your fortifications that you trusted in, these armaments that you trusted in, wherein all these things you trust throughout all your land, he will besiege you in your gates, the gates which Yahuwah your El has given you. Oh, and you think that's bad? You'll eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and daughters. Well, that's already been going on. They just deny it. Whom Yahuwah your El has given you in siege and in straightness. The man that's just, oh, so tender among you. He's such a wonderful little New Testament Christian. He's filled with grace and love and goodness. And he loves the fuzzy-wuzzy Jesus. And he knows the law is done away with. But that doesn't matter. His eye will be evil against his brother. And against the wife of his bosom. And against the remnant of those few children that he has remaining. So, how how bad is he? This, this wonderful... He, he won't even give any of the meat of his children whom he shall eat because he doesn't have anything else left to him, in the siege and the straightness, he won't even give it to uh, you know his, his family. The tender and delicate woman among you, who wouldn't adventure to set the sole of her foot on the ground because she's oh so delicate, she's there on Sunday with her pork roast, uh, and her tenderness, well her eye shall be evil against the husband of her bosom, and against her son, and against her daughter, and even against the afterbirth that comes out from between her feet, and against the children whom she shall bear, she'll eat them secretly, in the siege and the straightness, wherewith your enemy shall straighten you in your gates. Folks, this is pretty nasty stuff. Oh, we can't talk about this. Just to talk about this, it just sounds so untoward. It's, uh, it's just not so kind. Folks, the point is, we're there. This is precisely what happens when we believe and claim that Jesus did away with the law. And in fact, we were warned. He didn't. And so many people have served another Jesus whom we have not preached and this is what we get. And I frequently, I uh, probably won't, although I may, I may be moved to quote just a line or two of it, but I would suggest read, read Matthew 24. See how all of the things that he is laying out there not only are so appropriate, but they're all starting. Are they done yet? Oh, no. But um, they, they build upon what we're seeing here. This is all stuff that has literally been a long time coming, and now it's here. Uh, how does he summarize it? If you will not observe to do all coal, the words of this 
Torah. And I've had people say, oh, that word is, is nomos in the Greek. Uh, the word is Torah. The word is Torah in the book. It's in the Hebrew. We still have Torah scrolls, scrolls, folks, that have been verified and a date back literally millennia at this point. His word, his instruction, his Torah. It means instruction. Law is actually not a great translation. If you will not observe to do all the words of this Torah that are written in this book, that you may fear the glorious and fearful name Yahuwah Eloheka. Not the Lord your God, his real name. The one that most people who don't even know what it is they should be fearful of and don't know who it is that they should be worshiping don't know even his name. What will he do? Yahuwah will make your plagues wonderful. He'll let little Fauci's and, and little uh, Peter Daszak's run wild with their communist Chinese buddies and they'll develop new gain-of-function bat fevers and they'll add in a little bit of... Um, Ebola and Marburg and you name it. Got all kinds of wonderful hemorrhagic fevers. He'll make your plagues wonderful. And the plagues of your seed, great plagues, long continuance, sore sicknesses of long continuance. And he'll bring back, and I've read this many times of late, but I think it bears repeating here, all of those diseases of Mitzrayim, those things you were so afraid of, they will cleave to you. But wait, right, there's more. Every sickness, every plague, which isn't even written, Understand the importance of this statement, folks, which isn't even written in this book of the Torah. Well, you know, things like new bioweapons, maybe they're written in the book of the patents of Pfizer and Moderna and uh, Fauci's NIAID, but they're not written in the Torah. Still, will those, those are the ones that Yahuwah will bring upon you until you are destroyed and left few in, multi, in, in number. Once upon a time, you were like the stars of the heaven for multitude. But what's the problem? You did not hearken, shema, hear, and obey the voice of Yahuwah, your El. Once upon a time, he rejoiced over you to do your good and multiply you. Then, and are we there yet? He will rejoice over you to cause you perish and destroy you. Now, this is another one of those places where I'll point out, I firmly believe and conclude, as Mark Twain uh, used to say, history doesn't rhyme. Uh, history doesn't repeat exactly, but it rhymes. There you go. Well, prophecy likewise may not repeat exactly. We've already seen this fulfilled. We have seen people who were, in fact, rebellious. The whore church, the whore synagogue, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, Israel, Judah, both rebelled. You can read the story in Jeremiah 3 and Ezekiel 23. Both were cast out, shalak, exiled. Both are still in exile. One later became Israel, the northern kingdom, became the whore church, the southern kingdom, Judah, became the whore synagogue. They're both still in rebellion. And they are neither one back yet. And uh, I believe that the greater regathering is prophesied in Scripture. We talk about it frequently. Hasn't happened yet. And uh, unfortunately, I think it's pretty clear, the reason why is because neither have the things that are written in here. And honestly, I uh, concluded a while back that people will not get it. They'll shake their fist at Yah, as other Scriptures warn us before they finally come to realize, after so many are dead at that point, it's too late for them, that they should have hearkened, should have listened. That in fact, when he said he wasn't changing it, and that he wasn't doing away with the law, he meant it. And as a result, eventually, they'll return. Eventually, this regathering will happen. But uh, we got a ways to get there. Among these nations, you'll have no repose. There will be no rest for the sole of your feet. But Yahuwah will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and a languishing of soul. Okay. 
Why? Well, because men will say, because they forsook the covenant of Yahuwah, Elohim of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went and they served other gods. They worshipped them. Gods they, Yadad, knew not that he had not allotted to them. Gods who did away with the law, said it was nailed to the cross, made them put on little sticks and made little shrines out of them, but nope, uh, they were still fakes and they were not consistent with his word. Comparing curses. Let's do let's do one other thing, because um, I I think I want to end on a uh, <laughs> I want to end on a less dark note, but I certainly want to point out that um, yep I just I just read the first in the uh, last chapter here of Leviticus of these seven times seven. If you walk contrary to me, I'll bring seven times more plagues. And if in spite of all these, you are still not corrected, if you still claim the law is done away with, if you still worship another Jesus whom we've not preached and say, he did away with the law, why do I listen to you, you old mean God of the Old Testament? If you walk contrary to me, well, I'll walk contrary to you, he says. I'll do it in fury and chasten you seven times more even for your sins. My soul shall abhor you. And then, listen to this, and notice it's happened. I will scatter you among the nations, draw out the sword after you. Your land shall be a desolation. Your cities be laid waste. Now, both of these sets of curses end on a positive note. And that's where I want to go. Those that are left of you, they'll pine away in their Torahlessness in the lands of their enemies. Also, in the iniquities of their fathers, their Torahlessness shall they pine away. But... Eventually, he says, they'll confess their Torahlessness and the Torahlessness of their fathers. And I think that's a funny word, isn't it? The fathers sometimes wore clerical collars. In their treachery, which they committed against me, that they walked contrary to me. And I'll walk contrary to them. He's promised that. Uh, and I'll bring them into that land of their enemies. And nowadays, we're seeing the, uh, the other element. I'll bring the enemies right into the land that's not even their land, but it's one place that I took them. And uh, just as the land vomited them out before... Now they're going to literally be eaten up by the locusts that overrun the land they're in. Well, if perchance, he says, their uncircumcised hearts be humbled and they end up having paid the punishment of their iniquity, well, I will remember my covenant. Now, I made a big deal of this last night because I think it's important. He names these covenants backwards. Almost like it's a set of closed parentheses, right? He's opened them up, now he's closing them. I'll remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham. I hear people lie. Oh, those covenants are all done away with. Bull! He remembers them. If perchance their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they've paid the price... Has it happened yet? This is one place where I will say, I don't think so. I will remember, and I will remember the land. Because the land of life forsaken without them. Eventually the land will have her Sabbaths and so forth. And um, let's, let's swap gears. There's a little bit of a positive part. I'll remember. Well, how is it that uh, Moshe puts it when he summarizes this? After the uh, curses in chapter 29, he says it this way. Now, to my mind, this is probably... There are others. Uh, most of the major prophets, uh, so-called major prophets, talk about this greater regathering, the greater exodus. I'll gather them from the four corners. But um, this is the first, clearly, and perhaps the most, um, not just enlightening, encouraging. Because it says the following. This is Deuteronomy chapter 30, one of my favorite chapters in the whole book. Verse 1. 
And it starts with a real firm declaration. He says, and it shall come to pass. That that sounds like a winner to me. It shall come to pass when all of these things have come upon you. The blessing and the curse, which I've set before you, and you think yourself among all these nations into which Yahuwah Yerel has driven you there. Are we there? Answer, yeah, we're still there. We are still in exile, folks. And then, he says, now listen, and then you shall return unto Yahuwah Yerel. How do you return to a God if you don't even know his name, don't even know what he said, can't even recognize him because you confused him with all the pagans who did away with law and like Loki, they're uh, just pernicious little you-know-whats. Well, you'll return to Yahuwah. That's a good thing, but we got to know who he is, how to recognize him, how, how we know his word. How can we do what he says? He says here, you will hearken, Shamar, hear and obey, to his voice. According to what? Uh, the, the things that weren't done away with? Those Ten Commandments that, uh, well, eight of which anyway we still care about? Nope. Hearken to all, coal, all that I command you this day. Oh, no. This is Moses talking right there in the No, before they went in the land. This is like the that Old Testament Sinai Covenant, the, the discredited law of Moses. He says there'll come a time and I hope and pray that this is true, I believe and pray that those of us that walk in obedience will see it, you shall return unto Yahuwah and hearken to his voice according to what? All that I command you, this is Moses now speaking on behalf of Yah, all that I command you this day, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul. Hmm. Then what? Then will Yahuwah Turn. That word there, Hebrew root word, shuv. Same word as return. It's translated as repent in some places. Most Christians don't know what repent means. It's real simple. Turn around. When you realize you're going the wrong way, stop. Turn around. Go back the other direction. This is yod heh vav He says, I will turn, shuv, your captivity. Wait a minute, we're not in bondage to the law. No, we're in bondage to something a hell of a lot worse, folks. The most evil, tyrannical government, arguably, with the biggest surveillance state and the most nasty, awesome, now AI-enabled, gain-of-function-enabled, and even Internet-of-things-enabled, cell phone tracking-enabled, tyranny in human history. I, Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh, will turn your captivity and have compassion upon you. And what does he say? I will turn... Shuv, and I will gather you from all of the peoples where Yahuwah Yerel has, in fact, scattered you. Scattered you. This is the first prophecy, at least the first one that I think is obvious for sure, in the book having to do with the greater Exodus, written by the guy who delivered the folks under the hand of Moshe in the first Exodus. He goes on, if any of you are dispersed to the uttermost parts of heaven, doesn't matter where you are, from there will Yahuwah Yerel gather you, from there will he fetch you. And Yahuwah Yerel will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. See? Which your fathers possessed. No, there has been an exile. You're there. We're still there. This helps to set the time frame and the stage, folks. Because he's talking about something that followed an exile that he knew we were already still going to be in. 
Yehuel will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. Notice he uses the past tense. When he's talking here, they haven't gone in and gotten it yet. Book of Joshua hadn't been written. And you shall possess it. And he will do you good and multiply you above even your fathers. And Yehuel will circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed. To love... Now this is sounds a little bit like Shema Israel, right? Yahuwah Eloheinu, Yahuwah Echad, love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. What does Moshe say? Yahuwah Yorel will circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed to love Yahuwah Yorel with all your heart and with all your soul that you might live. Now those curses we've been talking about, the ones from Leviticus, the ones from the last chapter in Deuteronomy, those curses, he will put those upon your enemies and upon those that hate you and persecuted you. And you shall do what? Shuv. That's, that's a key word. It's the word that Yeshua uses over and over again. John the Baptist introduced it too. Turn. It's more than just repent. It's turn around. You shall return and hearken, again here and obey, the voice of Yahuwah. And do all his commandments, which I command you, Hayom, this day. And, and I read this and I go, come on, how stupid, how blind, how willfully ignorant, how Hosea 4.6-ish do people that believe the whore church have to be to say, uh, he was not talking to us? He's not talking about things that he said weren't going to be done away with that you're eventually going to be able to do? We can't do certain things if you're not in the land. You can't do things for women if you're a man. He says it this way, you shall shoe for return and hearken to what? The voice of Yahuwah, and do coal, all of his commandments, which I command you this day. And Yahuwah will make you overabundant in the work of your hand. This is uh, the blessings we've just finished hearing. In the fruit of your body, the fruit of your cattle, the fruit of your land, for good. And he will again rejoice, make simcha, over you for good, as he rejoiced over your fathers. Here it is one more time. If you hearken to the voice of Yehuel to keep what the ones that the whore church fathers say still matter, uh, not um, you know, not Sabbath, no, not that one, not the one about uh, idols, no, no, uh, adultery. We, we've redefined that. Stealing, well, it's okay if you use dishonest weights and measures, and you're a bankster or or if you're a tax man. Uh, if you will hearken to the voice of Yahuwah to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law. No, it's the Torah, but in this case, if you want to think of it as the book that he's talking about, okay, because we're talking about that book. Call it HaTorah, call it the law. It's still the book that they claim is done away with. If you turn to Yahuwah, return to Yahuwah. See, return and turn, it's the same thing. You were supposed to go this way, you didn't. So you turn around, you're going back the direction you should have been going all along. If you turn unto Yahuwah Yorel with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, the next section I, I've done recently, so I'm not going to repeat it here. We'll talk about it again. But this is one of those, only Jesus could keep the law bits of BS. Uh, you know, if he did away with the law, part of the reason we're told that's fine is because nobody else could possibly keep the law anyway. What a crock. He says it this way. For this commandment, which I command you to this day, nope, it's not too hard for you, nor is it far off. And he gives some pretty sarcastic examples. Not up in heaven, not across the sea, nope, got no excuse with all that kind of crap. It's in your heart, it's easy, see, it's something you can do. Quote, the word is very nigh unto you, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart, that you may do it. 
So the whole church says to you, you can't do it. Only Jesus could keep the law. And he didn't even do it because he did away with it, added to it, subtracted from it. You see, they're liars and the truth is not in them. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and make blankety-blank sure you're serving the right Jesus as opposed to the one Paul warned you against that they have been telling you he, in fact, was pushing. What a lie from the pit of hell. This is, in fact, vitally important. Because, again, if Jesus did away with the law, let's just make it clear. That's another Jesus whom he wasn't the real one even preaching himself. And folks, we are at a place where as these curses come down upon us, I think it's going to be pretty important that we recognize exactly what it is we're talking about. And uh, I guess in, in all of this, I, I mentioned this, one of the first things up front, and I emphasize this in Deuteronomy 28.28, that's an easy verse to remember, 28.28. Curses are in 28. This is chapter 28, verse 28. And it has to do with madness, insanity, that's literally run amok. And uh, I saw this. I saw this quote. I want to illustrate it, and then you'll see the point here. Um, this is from James Howard Kunstler. I like his work. He 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 wrote a piece this week entitled "The Smell of Goose Cooking," and says reality has gotten to be so plastic, so malleable, so elastic in America that now it stretches to a cosmic event horizon so deep into the twilight zone that everything has been magically transformed into its opposite. All right, we remember what Scripture says, right? They'll replace bitter for sweet, calling evil good and good evil. That's what they do. They say Jesus did away with the law. They're calling what he did, what he did, those whom he has made free indeed. They'll say that's bondage. But on the other hand, being in bondage to the IRS and a dishonest weight and measure, having your children taken away and having their genitalia cut off, that's freedom. And when Big Brother says jump, you say, yes, master. Should I have a little girl so you can cut her breasts off? How stupid, how insane do we have to be? Answer, madness. It was right at the top of these curses. Kunstler nails it. Reality has become so elastic. It now has gone so deep into the twilight zone that everything has been magically transformed into the opposite. Now here is this week's example. All right. Um, Proof, he says. On Thursday, the New York Times, the sole source of truth, forget scripture, the New York Times will tell you what they should have written too. They reported Thursday that the House Oversight Committee, uh, which found all kinds of things, they documented $10 million worth of bribes and corruption from various types of foreign influence, including Romania and the Communist Chinese Party, direct to the whoremeister in the White House, the senile guy that they put in there. Isn't that amazing? And and, and through Hunter's laptop and the 10% off the top of the big guy and all that. In fact, here's how Kunstler put it. The committee outlined, and pardon my French here, but I'm going to read what he wrote, because it's pretty much the only way you can lay this out and have it have the impact it needs to. In fact, the House committee outlined a shit ton of documentation in the form of bank records detailing exactly how gobs of money from foreign lands were washed and rinsed through a dozen shell companies and distributed to everyone in the immediate Biden crime family down to the uh, fake president's grandchildren. The preliminary report of the committee was precise as to the money's exact origins, its journey through the laundering apparatus, the owners of the bank accounts, and what does the New York Times say? Here it is. Here's the headline. Listen to this, folks, and ask yourself, insanity, madness, lies? What was it that yod heh vav Hey prophesied? Listen to this. New York Times banner headline, House Republican Report Finds No Evidence of Wrongdoing by... I'm not even going to read those words, right? 
the, the fake president, the senile guy. No evidence of, <laughs> come on. And this story, by the way, goes on to say, look, uh, let's be honest here. Um, it's pretty clear that the reason the FBI this week refused to document the, um, the, the, the subpoena and the stuff that they, uh, they know, the, the House committee knows the FBI had, but they wouldn't turn over, is because, just maybe, the evidence suggests, they declared Hunter Biden to be a confidential human source. So as a result, just like they did with Whitey Bulger, remember who his buddy was before they killed him, the whole business was just a scam to keep him out of uh, prison on legitimate charges or keep him silent, and that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, this is, I'll say it again, this is nothing but madness. This is the kind of thing that people see it, and they keep silent. And then people, they read these curses, and they go, how is it that this could possibly be happening? And the answer, Yeshua nails it. Because lawlessness, toralessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And we're there, and we're seeing it. And it literally cannot be denied. And at this point, we have to just fess up and say, okay, uh, how much worse can it get? Uh, Answer, we're seeing all of that too. I'm going to read one last um, element here from uh, the, uh, the book of Luke. And this is a parable that Yeshua tells that I think kind of helps us to, to cut through the BS and the crap and the tripe and the madness and the lies to the point where, yep, he says this in Matthew 24, it gets so bad even the elect would be deceived if it went on. Well, here we go. This is Yeshua. These are the words in red. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. Be like the men who wait for their master. Uh, so when he returns from the wedding, when he comes and knocks, they can open to him. In other words, uh, know the times and the seasons. He makes that point over and over again. Be ready. It's part of the reason why I emphasize things that are going on today. We need to understand the times and the seasons. Blessed are those servants, he said, whom the master, when he comes, think maybe he's talking about himself, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat, and he'll come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. In other words, those who do the master's will. But know this. Here comes the warning. That if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, right, the thief in the night, well, then he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. No, this is not the domin- the, the uh, eminence doctrine, folks. This is him basically saying, you know what? you got people lying to you, telling you he did away with the law and all this other crap, and you're looking for the wrong one? Well, guess what? I, I am one of those that believes that the, the so-called Antichrist will probably come first, and those who don't know, can't recognize the real from the fake, will be suckered in. Because I guarantee you, he'll be some kind of smooth. And if you believe the uh, the crap from the New York Times today, just wait you see how they push this guy. Matter of fact, you can probably read it and see they're already pushing. People just like him, if not him. Be ready. Then Kepha, Peter, asked him, Lord, how do you speak this parable only to us, or are you speaking it to everybody? Well, he responded, Who then is that faithful and wise steward? When his master comes, he'll make him ruler over his household and give them their portion of food in its due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will make him ruler over all that he has. 
But if that servant says in his heart, in other words, if he goes to a New Testament church, folks, and claims the law is done away with, I wouldn't know my master if he came here and did away with his own word. Um, maybe that's how I was duped to begin with. If that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and he begins to beat his male and female servants and eat and drink and be drunk, if the master of that servant comes at a day when he's not looking for him, because he doesn't even know who he is, uh, well, then, at an hour when he's not aware, ooh, that master will, quote, cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will, no, because he said the master has done away with his own law, can't trust that guy, he's not the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Is this not stupid or what? That servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes, well, he gets beaten but with fewer stripes. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask even the more. Now, this is another one of those verses that I think is interesting. And I, I oftentimes, not long ago, talked about this idea of unintentional sin. There's a difference, in other words, a big bright line difference. You'll see it in Torah, but only if you have eyes to see. Between unintentional sin, over and over and over again, his instruction talks about what happens if a ruler sins, a prince. He, he doesn't know any better and he, he does something. And he sins. What happens if a priest, a Kohen, if he sins? What happens if a common person, or if all the people, if they do something in ignorance and they don't know it? Well, here's the uh, here's the response to it, and then there are some details that follow. Okay, uh, various kinds of things that are done. Now, in the uh, writings of people like Shaul, you'll find a reference, and you'll see this in Hebrews and in Romans and in other places, uh, phrased different ways. But it boils down to, uh, you know what? Uh, if in fact you claim I didn't know any better. And then you find out, oh, I was wrong, and I've been forgiven. I'm very thankful having been forgiven. But now what? If I still go and sin willfully, there remains no more sacrifice. I can't very well go out and claim again, I didn't know any better, because you did know better. There remains no more sacrifice after you have already claimed it once. Then what? That one who didn't know any better, and he still committed things deserving of stripes, he's going to get a few. But for everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. To whom more is given, more is committed. Well, even more will be required. Once we know, folks, we are held to a higher standard. Teachers are held to a higher standard. That is why he says what he does in Matthew 5, 17 and 19, through 19. Right? Those who, who know better, those who uh, teach men to disobey even the least of his commandments, I believe they have cut some words out of there. If he repents, if he turns then he is least in the kingdom. Can I prove that? No. It's probably somewhere in the Vatican basement, but I, I will tell you this. It's consistent with his word, because other places he says they'll be on the outside. They'll be gnashing of teeth. They'll be beaten with many stripes. That servant who knew his master's will didn't prepare himself, didn't act in accord with his will, he will be beaten with many stripes. Maybe he gets to be least in the kingdom. Or worse. There are all kinds of things here where it, it tries to make very clear, I think it does, I think it's, it's very clear, that what he is saying is, we're supposed to know the Master's will, we're supposed to do the best we can to walk in it. 
But to teach man that he is a liar and the truth is not in him, that he did away with his own word, that he's not the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and then they'll turn around and say, well, that's because his word... No, there is no way to justify contradiction that doesn't make somebody, like the guys whose words are in red, a liar. And if Paul or anyone else, if they come preaching another gospel and we've not preached, well, what does Paul say? Yeah, don't believe them. Matter of fact, I mentioned Galatians. I guess I ought to mention a little bit more of that. Paul begins that letter to the folks in Galatia by saying, look, they come preaching another one of these Gospels. Uh, What's the first thing he says? I'm going to tell you. Let's just read it. This is um, Galatians 1. I marvel, he said, verse 6, that you're turning away so soon from the one who called you to the Gospel of the Messiah, to a whole different Gospel. Not another one. There are some who trouble you. They want to pervert the very gospel of the Mashiach. But if it was we, or some angel from heaven, who preached any other gospel to you than what we in fact have preached to you, let him be accursed. Now they'll twist even this. Isn't that funny? Because they got to go into chapter 3 here and say, oh, that's not what he meant. I say again, he says, he repeats it. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you, let him be accursed. Am I trying to persuade men or God? Answer. We're talking to men. The, the creator of the universe already knows this stuff. The, the book then goes on to talk about faith versus works, and uh, as many are as under the works of the law are under the curse, for it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in this book of the Torah to do them. That's true. Then he says the following. Now, this is where people get wrapped around the axle. I'm not going to belabor this because we've, we've already got, I think, more than a sufficient amount of information to recognize a lie. Or not exactly a lie, just things that people have used that seems complicated, so they make it more complicated, and then they twist it. But no one is justified by the Torah, no, or the nomos, or what word is it that he really wrote there, right? Nomos is the Greek word you'll find there. Which law is he talking about? Man's or his? You see, that's the problem. If we don't know the difference, if we conflate the laws that men supposedly make that aren't supposed to be added to or subtracted from with the ones that Elohim wrote down for us, well, now we don't know what the hell we're talking about. Uh, The law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Have we been redeemed from the curse of the law? Now, that is true. See, the curse is right here. We've been talking about the curse. The curse is for rebellion. What is the penalty for rebellion? It's death. What has to happen to make the equations balance? That's the way your nerdy engineer here likes to put it. Answer, blood. Whose blood? Well, as it turns out, a substitution, thankfully, was able to do it. But having been redeemed from that curse that was outlined in the Torah for our rebellion to him, shall we put him to death on the cross again, put him to shame again, say, we didn't know, we just kept not knowing, we just kept doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Can we see it? He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Notice, folks, he did not do away with the law. He has redeemed us from the curse for rebellion to the law. I, I use an example. I've, I've taught it this way for years. you got a murderer. He's on death row, right? You ever saw the Green Mile? They put the helmet on him. They strap him in the chair, getting ready to hit the juice. And they got this big red phone on the wall, and the guy's standing there next to the great big switch, and he's fixing to throw it. Ring, ring. Here comes the phone call. Oh, I'm going to pardon that guy. Going to pardon him from the curse of the law. In other words, from the uh, ordinance against him, the conviction under the law for having committed murder. I'm going to pardon him. Let him go free. 
All right. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the governor. I'm out of here. I can go kill again because the law is done away with. No, you can't. You kill again, you're going to be right back in the chair. And guess what? This time the phone ain't going to ring. You can't claim ignorance a second time around. You can't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. Folks, this is not hard. It has been twisted and made hard by those who are what? In rebellion to him. How does Paul put it? So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon even the other nations, the goyim. Now, by the way, who are some of those goyim that Paul was sent to minister to? In fact, they are the what? The ten lost tribes. There are others, but they can all be grafted in. Grafted into what? Coal Israel, the mixed multitude. All of those who are blessed by what he has done for us, regathered, returned, that we might receive the promise of the Ruach through faith. And I like to point this out. What's faith? To believe that he exists? Ah, even the demons believe and tremble. Nope. Faith means, I believe him. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. I love him. I'll just keep his commands. Not because I am commanded to, because if I don't, I'm going to burn in hell. No. If I love him, Keep your commands. I hear people say, oh, you can't keep all the commands. Great, you can't. What does the guy in good faith do? He knows his master's will. He tries to do it. You see, this is not hard. They make it hard. They tell you you can't do it so that you basically say, well, I guess if I've already, already lusted in my heart, I just, I'll just go out and boink, commit the whole deed because I'm going to hell anyway, right? See, that's the kind of thing that results in lawlessness abounding rather than understanding that, yep, we've made mistakes. Yep, he has, in fact, redeemed us from the curses that we are so richly deserving of that uh, that form and that are literally uh, the result of his iron, his rules for the universe. Gravity exists. You jump off a cliff, gravity is going to provide a, an acceleration of 32 feet per second squared until something stops it. That's a law. The law is not done away with because I learned how to fly an airplane. The law is not done away with because the governor pardons me from a transgression that was deserving of death, but I no longer have to get fried for. So I better learn to walk in obedience. Okay, um, I could go through, and I won't, this whole book, but um, I, I like this one. I'm going to just point to one or two. You can go through Galatians. You can pick it out. I, I like to say, here are the kind of things that once you see it, you can't unsee it. Then indeed, writes Paul, this is uh, Galatians chapter um, 4, verse Eight. Then indeed, when you did not know Elohim, in other words, if you were out there as a pagan, and you served those which by nature are not gods, right? Fake gods. Got lots of them today too, just like then. But now, he says, but now after you have known Elohim, or rather are known by Elohim. Now when I read that, I can't help but think Paul knows it too. Matthew 7.23 Depart from me, you who are workers of Torahlessness, iniquity, lawlessness. I never knew you. Paul says, here, after you've known God, but or rather are known by Elohim, how is it you turn again to weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Now they'll say, see, see, this is the old law, the Torah. We're not supposed to go back and be in bondage. Bullshit. I said it because it needs to be pointed out just how much bullshit that is. You're pagans. He's talking to pagans. You were pagans. But after you now have known God, or rather are known by Him, how is it you turn again, what, shuv? No, you return to the BS, to the weak, 
pagan crap that you now know better than, to which you desire again to be in bondage. You see what we're talking about? They have called evil good and good evil. They're turning it on its head. They're saying that those whom he has made free, they're not free indeed. They're in bondage. Paul was a bondservant of the Most High. This is, this is obscene, folks. This is satanic evil. To take that which he says is, in fact, the blessing, obedience to him, and turn it into the worst kind of pagan bondage to the wrong gods. And the people who are doing this, the ones that are smart enough to know what they're doing, know better. Kepha, as you know, points out, oh, you know, in the writings of our beloved brother Paul, there's a whole lot of stuff difficult to understand. Now, trouble is, a lot of it's twisted by the unlearned and untaught, yeah, like they do the rest of Scripture, unto their own destruction. I contend that there are people, servants of Satan, who have known what they were doing, who deliberately twisted Paul, who tweaked the translations, who obfuscated the truth, and who are selling Torahlessness, lawlessness. Why? Because that's how the church made its bones. That's how the whore church, first back when it was still under King Ephraim, started turning away from Elohim and becoming pagan. How they Christianized all kinds of pagan crap like Ishtar and bunnies and eggs and Yule logs and trees and made that and said, This is your God, O Israel. And they've been getting away with it. And they're still walking in abomination before him. And now the Antichrist, he's, he's close at hand, I guarantee you, people are going to be lapping this up like sugar from a spoon. How is it you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements, the same pagan crap, to, in which you desire again to be in bondage? Now, here's the other one that you'll hear twisted. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored in vain. Oh, well, see, we're not supposed to keep his feast. No! It's the old pagan crap. I actually saw somebody say, well, you, you can't even know what it is under the, under the, uh, the Gregorian calendar. Answer. <laughs> That's why we're trying to study his word as written, to understand it. Unfortunately, in fact, some cases we don't know what calendar precisely Yeshua kept. What we do know is that we don't hear him complaining about certain things, but we do see, uh, well, he for sure kept Sabbath. He for sure kept Passover. Matter of fact, he kept it perfectly and fulfilled it perfectly, and he explained that to those two guys on the road to Emmaus. Over and over again, if we see and understand what Scripture is really saying, you can't unsee it. I'm going to read one other element, and, and this one too I've heard twisted. And uh, I'll, I'll close with this. From Galatians chapter 5. There's a lot of talking here about circumcision and uncircumcision, circumcision of the heart. People get all wrapped around the axle. I, I will say it again. If I had a baby, uh, I would circumcise him on the eighth day. Why? Because it's a sign. The baby doesn't know what's happening to him. We know that the uh, science says that on the eighth day, his pain receptors are at a minimum, and his immune system is at a local max. Hey, what better day? It's almost like somebody planned it, isn't it? But there's a sign. The sign is the father and the mother saying, this is my son, he's going to be... Yours. I'm going to have him wear your mark, O creator of the universe. Ain't nothing wrong with that, folks. And I actually hear people twist Paul to say, oh, there's a curse for getting circumcised. Bull. Bull, you know what. Okay? He makes a distinction between circumcision of the heart, and matter of fact, it's not unique to him, as we've talked already. He was quoting earlier verses all the way back to the Torah. Here's how he summarizes it this way. By the way, when he says, you know, you guys that, uh, that don't understand this, you're talking about going and cutting off parts of your willy, I just wish you'd cut it all off. 
and they think that's funny because they don't get the joke, because they don't understand, having turned it on its head, what they're talking about. But um, he's not talking about people that want to go to school in California, I guess. For you, brethren, he says, have been called to liberty. Only don't use that liberty as an excuse, an opportunity for the flesh, but in fact, through love, serve one another. Now, remember what it is that his master said is the most com- important commandment in Scripture? Yep, Shema Israel, Yahuwah Eloheinu, Yahuwah Echad. So you shall love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. And, and he said, oh yeah, second one, love your neighbor as yourself. Here's how Paul puts it in the end of chapter 5. For all of the Torah, the instruction is fulfilled in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. From, oh, that book of the done away with law, Leviticus 19.18. How do we love our neighbors? Well, let's do this. Let's do something you won't hear from those people who basically will say the law is done away with. Let's actually read what Leviticus 19.18 actually says. And this is really kind of edifying because... Um, it's not what you're told. Oh, love. If we just talk about love, right? you know, like two guys love one another. Like Biden loves to sniff girls' hair. Nope, that's not the kind of love we're talking about. 1918. It's interesting because he's talking about things like false witness, things that are parts of Torah that are almost obscure. It starts out by saying, don't remove your neighbor's landmark, right? Don't change the boundary lines. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or any sin. It takes two. At the mouth of two or three witnesses shall a matter be established, especially capital crimes, but anything. Two or three witnesses. If an unrighteous witness rises up against a man to bear perverted witness against him, then both of those men, between whom there's controversy, will stand before Yahuwah and before the Kohanim, and the judges that will be in those days. They will inquire diligently, and behold, if one of them is a false witness, and he has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do unto him what he thought to do unto his brother. By the way, I just realized I'm reading from Deuteronomy 19.18, but the cool thing is, his word is so consistent, that makes sense too. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Leviticus, and you're going to see that there's, there's almost a parallel here. Uh, this is almost funny. Here's Leviticus 19.18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. Do not stand idly by the blood of your neighbor. I am Yahuwah. In other words, isn't it funny? We're talking about the very same thing here. How do we get along with our brothers? How do we treat him? Well, Yeshua says it. You treat him the way you'd like to be treated yourself. What does that mean? It means in accord with Torah. Don't bear false witness. Don't hate him in your heart. In fact, in Leviticus, leading up to this verse, it says, don't go around as a talebearer. Don't stand idly by the blood of your neighbor. Somebody's whacking on your brother. You step in and you defend him. You don't say, well, I'm tolerant. I'm just so tolerant. I'm going to stand here and let that happen. Don't hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor. If you, in fact, love him. Oh, wait a minute. That doesn't sound very nice and neighborly, does it? Rebuke your neighbor because he's walking in rebellion to the Creator. Don't bear sin because of him. Oh, no, no. Okay. 1918. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Second most important commandment in Scripture. And guess what? Right? Guess what the last part of that verse says? We know it. Ani Yahuwah. He signs it. The signature line. What does the next one say? More stuff about Torah. You keep my statutes. Other elements. Things that we say, oh, those are, those are the least elements of, of, of Torah. They're, they're not important anymore. Folks, at the heart 
of this commandment, both, both in chapter 19 of Deuteronomy and in Leviticus. It talks about, in fact, bearing witness. What it is to bear false witness or good witness. Be an unrighteous witness. To bear a perverted witness. Don't hate your brother in your heart. Don't stand idly by the blood of your neighbor. But all of these things, what we're talking about, this is the essence of how to build a society where there is trust, where there is goodwill. Because my brother's not going to lie about me. He's not going to lie to me and tell me the law is done away with. He's not going to do all these things to twist the law so that, in fact, I can, what? Be set up or have my property taken or um, be, be put in prison. He's not going to rat me out to the Stasi or the IRS or the FBI like as, uh, well, has happened throughout history and is happening again. Don't take vengeance. Don't, what's the term they use? Don't swat your neighbor. You got people swatting their neighbor now. They get them killed. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, Ani Yahuwah. And it just, it ought to irritate us, I guess, how many people will say, love your neighbor as yourself. But it doesn't mean, doesn't mean this, it doesn't mean that. And know what it doesn't mean? <laughs> it tends to not mean to do the things that he says in his word we ought to do all the time. Why? Because if you love me, keep my commandments. Again, I, I say this is not hard. And he says it's not hard. Let me read the last part of chapter 5. Lots of things here. Uh, if you're led by the, um, the Ruach, you're not under the law. Which law? Guess what, folks? He's not talking about the Torah. If you're led by the Ruach, you will walk in obedience to Torah because you love him. If you love me, keep my commandments. What is the law that you don't want to be under? The law of the Pharisees, the law of the Catholics, the law of the Biden Fuhrer, the law that says to hell with your neighbor, rat him out, get your bonus bucks, tell him where the guns are, red flag laws. The, the, the history of the world, folks, is full of crap masquerading as law and burdens that are added to and subtracted from that are not law. The works of the flesh, they're evident. Okay, But if you're led by the Ruach, then you are not under this law of men. I'm going to put it that way. Not under the law of men. Ooh, that, that puts a, you're, in fact, driven by the law of liberty, right? Uh, the exousia, there's that Greek word. The higher liberty. Interesting. But the fruit of the Ruach is the following. Love, joy, shalom, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, against such... There is no law, regardless of how you define it. If we live in the Ruach, let us also walk in the Ruach. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. All of this is to how we fulfill the instruction of the Mashiach. All right. Uh, let us not grow weary while trying to do good, for in due season we reap if we do not lose heart. So lots and lots of interesting stuff. Again, major elements here. Uh, I will contend we are seeing the curses. We're literally seeing the curses on a daily basis. And at least when I look at the seven times, and I don't see any evidence of a, uh, of a repentance, certainly not on a, on a large scale, I think it's true to say you ain't seen nothing yet. And why is it important? that we understand that um, another Jesus whom we've not preached is going to end up getting a whole lot of people in a whole lot of trouble because the curses are accelerating. Because if Jesus did away with the law, he's a liar and the truth is not in him.
and that one, those who push in that direction. Well, we've already seen it. Yeshua himself, the real one, said, because Torahlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And again, that, I will argue, is precisely where we are. It's hard not to see that that is um, exactly what's going on today. But do, I, I would encourage you, go back and read Matthew 24. See what he says. Pro- false prophets rising up and deceiving many. And because lawlessness, Torahlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Ah, what is it they'll tell you? The law is fulfilled. And love your neighbor as yourself. And yet, don't stand idly by the blood of your neighbor. No, do that because Big Brother says so. The Stasi wants you to. Rat him out because he doesn't have his poison poke. He didn't wear his mask when he's supposed to. He didn't take the mark of the beast when he's supposed to. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Don't bear a grudge against the children of your people. The love of many will grow cold. Here's here's the next line. This is important. He who endures to the end, he says, shall be saved. He who endures to the end shall be saved. How can we endure to the end? How do, how do we begin to escape all these curses? They sound pretty nasty. Answer? It's not about believing in him, right? Even the demons believe and tremble. No, it's believe him. He makes promises. He says, if you do these things, blessings will come upon you. If you don't, there are curses. Here they are. You can look out and you can see them. But, if we walk in obedience, understand, these are conditional. They are conditional based upon obedience. If you do these things, what? No weapon formed against you will prosper. In the day of the evil, I will hide you. There are lots and lots of promises. If you read them and you see the conditions... Most of them are, in fact, conditional. Where does that leave us? We face some challenges. But we had better know who we serve. We had better be able to distinguish the truth from the lie, recognize that which is of him and that which is of something which is antithetical to him, and be not deceived. Because, yeah, he who endures to the end shall be saved. If somebody comes to preaching you another Jesus whom we've not preached, don't listen to him. I'm afraid you'll be suckered in, said Paul. Many have. We should be able to rightly divide, discern his word. And may it be so. Let's uh, let's close in prayer. Yehua Eloheinu, Yehua Echad. Abba, we come before you. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you that you have given us your truth, that you have written it down for us and preserved it, that we can, in fact... And we pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Rightly divide your word, your word of truth. We know that there is deception. Lots of it. We know that there are curses that are coming and they're deserved. There are plagues that are coming. There are judgments that are coming. Help us to stand. And having done all to stand. Help us to be overcomers. Help us to be ready in season and out for all of these things that are now here. Guide us, Father, that we might be strong, that we might not stand idly by the blood of our our neighbors, that we might speak boldly, truthfully, not bear false witness, but in fact, um, when we need to, rebuke our neighbor and not bear sin because of him. That's harder. Many of us would prefer to keep silent and walk away. We know we're not supposed to. Give us your guidance, Father. Fill us with your Ruach. Help us to be ready in season and out again to to give an account for the hope that is within us. And we thank you that you have, that you are our hope, our master, our king, 
our help, our strength in times of trouble. You are Yehovah Tzivenu, Yehovah Zevuot, Yehovah Zediknu. You are all-sufficient, our El Shaddai, our banner, Yehovah Nisi. You are our healer, Yehovah Rapha. And we thank you and praise you. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, don't say anything. Let's close with the Aharonic blessing. Well, remember that Yahuwah spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak in turn to Aharon and his sons, and say to them, This is how you bless the Benai Yisrael. Say to them, May Yahuwah bless you and keep you. May Yahuwah make his face to shine upon you. May Yahuwah lift his countenance upon you and give you his shalom. Amen. And thus he said, They shall put Shemi, my name, on the Benai Yisrael, and I myself shall bless them. So may it be so.